Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Generation 1 Transformers cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves and, as per usual, I am joined by my good friend, Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how the devil are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Life has been child's play, you could say. Ah, there you go. And we could say we we uncovered a lot of secrets on the episodes we're talking about this week, didn't we? <laughs> we, we, we did. We did indeed. Uh, some of which we we will get into pretty pretty early here. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, we might as well just pretty much get this show going very very quickly, folks. But before we do, if you want to find more information about the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We are the account username at Starscreams Pod. We've also got an email address, that being starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. And the episodes that we watch each and every week are episodes as dictated by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is because on that YouTube channel, you can legitimately watch every single episode of the US Transformers cartoon. And today, we are going to be talking about episodes 29 to 32 yes folks we have actually got that far it's pretty incredible to think about it of the second season that have the following episode titles the secret of omega supreme child's play the gambler and the search for alpha trion andy this is potentially going to be quite a long podcast given the amount of info we're going to be talking about so we'll we'll sort of see how things are shaping up as we're going along but just to to put this out there, everybody, that is th- those are the episodes we are intending to talk about this week, but we'll see how long we go, because this might be a long one. But Andy, general overarching thoughts on the four episodes we have to discuss this week. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty fun set of episodes. Like, ironically, the one we and, and I were probably the most excited about is perhaps the weakest of the four. Um, you know, like spoilers, like Omega Supreme Secret is not really that I- impressive. Um, but yeah, like you know, we we get to we get some origin stories for characters we've been bemoaning the lack of origin stories. We had a stealth two parter that I was really confused by and then wasn't because like oh okay this this is just carrying on cool. Um, we have perhaps the greatest two minutes ever committed to television, uh, which we can talk about later, and then. We have some lady Transformers who are really awesome, and now I want a spin-off series that I'll never get. So, yeah, much to discuss. You have pretty much summed up my thoughts there. The fact we actually got episode-to-episode continuity that wasn't a two-parter, I was shocked at. But it was a really pleasant surprise. And honestly, when we were kind of just looking at the titles of the episodes at the end of the last podcast and maybe trying to figure out what ones might be the best and weakest... I didn't expect Child's Play to be as, let's say, eventful as it actually ended up being. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really fun episode as well. And and who knew that, like, Toy Story stole all of its ideas from a Transformers episode? (laughs) Oh, that'll get some people talking. But before we get to that episode, everybody, we must first go to episode 29 of season 2. That being The Secret of Omega Supreme. We begin with a massive rocket appearing from the ocean, heading to a specific asteroid in outer space, where it also lands. But then it activates some additional thrusters and begins moving the entire asteroid into a position orbiting Earth. 
The asteroid is in position, as we hear from one of the Constructicons that appears from inside the rocket. We then see a dialogue exchange between Hook and Megatron that reveals the Constructicons are kicking... Are kicking the asteroid? That's not right. <laughs> kicking asteroid would be a really good name for a podcast as well. <laughs> I'll leave that in the edit, that was funny. <laughs> but it reveals that they are mining the asteroid. That's a good typo on my notes there, everybody. They are mining the asteroid for ore. The first batch being transported in two hours. But notably, where Megatron is receiving the, this transmission from Hook... He is in the Decepticon underwater base. And I don't know if you noticed, Andy, but for a brief second, it really looked like Perceptor was standing next to him. <laughs> I, I thought it looked more like Sideswipe, but it definitely looked like an Autobot. And so, yeah, like, never mind the secret of Omega Supreme. What is the secret <laughs> of Sideswipe and or Perceptor? <laughs> because there's something going on there as well. I, I, I did have a moment of just like... I, I quickly realised this was an animation error, but I had a brief moment of like, oh, is this going to be another one of these kind of stories? Of like, ah, is the Autobot actually a traitor? But no, not really. But no, I think it was just an animation error. Because, I mean, even by the next shot, they're, they're gone. So that, that was that. <laughs> there, there was a brief moment where I thought, is the secret going to be that he knows who a traitor is? And he's been <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. like, trying to hide it for ages. <laughs> yeah. Like, may maybe that's the big problem with this episode, is we're just, like, set up for disappointment from the get-go, because we we <laughs> written all this narrative in our heads that turned out to be completely false. <laughs> Megatron instructs Asteroid Train to be ready to depart in one hour to take him to the asteroid, as mentioned. We also find out that Soundwave has picked up readings about the ore on his scanners, and Megatron says it could solve all of their energy problems. Back in space, we see Andy's favourite Autobot, Cosmos, detecting powerful energy readings from the asteroid, and he relays this information to Autobot HQ. Prime instructs him to maintain radio silence. He then sees the Constructicons and proceeds to return to base. At Autobot HQ, Cosmos suggests that, that drawing the attention of the Constructicons while Power Glide leads an all-out assault. No pressure, Power Glide. But Prime wants more definitive info. And quite, as I've written down here, Andy, he sternly directs Cosmos to get more solid info. This, this really does feel like Prime is having one of those days where he's not up. For, for Cosmos's BS. <laughs> yeah, well, this episode in general, like, it seems like Optimus Prime has very little time for anyone's nonsense because, like, he's kind of pretty short and sharp with everybody. Like, as, as we'll, you know, as we'll get into when he starts talking to Omega Supreme, he's basically just, like, look, cut it out, give it to me straight. Like, he's not, there's no, no time for kind of dancing around anything here. Like, Optimus Prime clearly has something else that he wants to be doing with his day, not dealing with any of this. Prime then adds that until they get more definitive info, they are going to wait, but he will go and speak with, quote-unquote, the only other Autobot who can fly in space, Omega Supreme. We then see Prime, rather confusingly, head into a forest, where he kind of just summons Omega Supreme, Andy? <laughs> he just sort of calls out to him, and then Omega Supreme just appears... Yeah, I mean, the intimation seems to be that Omega, Su Omega Supreme is hiding, and it's like, well, how does Omega Su I mean, that's literally what I wrote in my notes, how does Omega Supreme hide? Because, like, you know, he's absolutely massive. I mean, this is, you know, even compared to sending Jetfire in as, on, a, like, a stealth mission, this is like, well, how do you, you know, even in a forest, you're, you're going to struggle to hide for long. 
I mean, I would probably just raise the question of how does Laserbeak constantly get into Autobot HQ? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that is... It feels like one of those everlasting questions. Indeed. <laughs> Once Prime has found Omega Supreme, he relays the details of what is occurring, saying that they may need his help. Omega Supreme, though, isn't interested in this. Until he hears Optimus Prime specifically mention the Constructicons and says, very directly to Prime, Constructicons, enemy. Enemies, die. <laughs> a bit much at this point, to be fair. Which, I mean, yeah, it's, that's fair for, for Decepticons, but yeah, de definitely, definitely riled him a little bit. We come to find out that there has seemingly been a bit of a personal issue between Omega Supreme and the Constructicons. Prime gets, tries to get him to tell him what's happened, but he won't. Question. Irrelevant. Matter. Private, says Omega Supreme. <laughs> the best dialogue. But given that Prime is the Autobot leader, when he says that he wants to know what's happened, Omega Supreme relents, sits down like he's having a picnic or something, and begins to tell Prime. Now, interesting, Andy, and I want to add this a note before we go any further, because it's a fun little tidbit. Prime asks if Omega Supreme can talk like a normal Autobot, which really caught me off guard rather than the stilted dialogue. And Omega Supreme says just this once, he will talk like he did on Cybertron before the betrayal, quote-unquote. Would you like a fun fact about, the, about why he speaks in this way? Yeah, go, go for it. Hit me. So, according to the Transformers wiki, full credit here, the uncharacteristic eloquence displayed by Omega Supreme in this episode was actually the result of an error by writer David Wise, who was unaware of Omega's normal speech pattern and scripted the episode with normal dialogue. Dialogue editors were forced to insert Optimus Prime's request for Omega to talk like a normal Autobot to make this flashback sequence work. To be fair, if I was the writer of this episode, I would also forget, quote-unquote, that Omega Supreme <laughs> spoke that way, given that he's having to narrate the entire episode. It's like, no, I'm not writing an entire episode in, like, you know, two-word, like, you know, single-syllable sentences. Like, I'm not doing it. You can't make me. I'm just going to write him normally. Because, I mean, to be honest... It really makes sense in terms of actually putting this story across because it would be interminable to have to watch the entire episode with Omega Supreme trying to like narrate it like that. So having him just be like, all right, yeah, I'll just talk normal is kind of the most sensible thing that I think you could do with this. So like deliberate or, or accidental, like kudos for probably actually making the right decision. So before we get into the flashback itself, Andy, so far... Set up for the episode. What are you thinking at this point while watching it? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of... It's it's kind of, you know, you're pretty typical, like, you know, grab the energy source of the week on one side, but then you've quickly... It quickly becomes clear that that's kind of just an excuse to get to the meat of the story. You know, again, it's like, well, we... we this has been the thing we've seen in a few episodes now where things are set in space mostly just so that Omega Supreme can get involved because, as mentioned, he's one of the few Autobots that can fly in space. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, I was definitely into, you know... I mean, how many times have we mentioned, like, oh, it's really annoying how 
this major character has just been dumped into the show without any exposition about why he's there or who he is or anything. Um, and, and kind of like double ears pricking up about also the Constructicons who we kind of had a similar beef with that they were, you know, just they just appeared and we kind of made up our own headcanon of where they came from and assumed that they were, you know, built on Earth like the Dinobots, but apparently not, as we will come to discover. We'll come back to that point about the Constructicon's origin, because what we're about to talk about certainly adds to the origin. It also creates a potentially glaring continuity issue from a previous episode. We'll get into that. So, we see the story unfold before our eyes in the form of a flashback with, as you alluded to, Andy, both Prime and Omega Supreme adding additional narration for context as we go. We find out that Omega Supreme was once the guardian, one of the Guardian robots of Crystal City on Cybertron. This was a fact actually that even Prime himself wasn't aware of, but remembered Crystal City and described it as being the most spectacular city on Cybertron. Omega Supreme say he loved the place. As Omega is walking back to the city after what I've eloquently put Andy as a doctor's checkup, <laughs> because that's it's a weird thing to imagine a doctor giving Omega Supreme a little like a physical or whatnot. The Constructicons arrive to do maintenance on some foundations. We find out that they were not only friends of Omega Supreme, but they also built Crystal City. However, Megatron is waiting nearby in the wings, so to speak, with a new robot he has constructed called Robo Smasher. <laughs> <laughs> like kudos to Megatron for the naming there. Like we've made a lot of fun of, of names of things in this show, but if you're gonna do something evil, why not call your machine the Robo Smasher? It's a great yeah, name. Fantastic. <laughs> it's a great name. And it's a machine that immobilizes and reprograms Transformers for Megatron's uses, increasing his forces. Based on what we see, though the Constructicons have actually got Decepticon emblems on them at this point in the flashback, they are in fact good at this point, so that muddies the waters quite a bit. But Megatron alludes to the fact he wants to use Robo Smasher to reprogram them. Omega is on guard duty, so to speak, and the Constructicons head inside to do their maintenance. Omega narrating what happens next he wasn't aware of for a few hours. The Constructicons are inside, but they encounter a locked door, which you'd think if they're freaking Constructicons, they might be able to open a freaking locked door, but that's beside the point. They are then ambushed by Megatron and Robo Smasher, and we are assumed they are reprogrammed. Outside, seemingly a bit later in the day, the Constructicons arrive and tell Omega Supreme the capital city is being attacked and help is needed urgently. Omega is conflicted about this because he's meant to be guarding Crystal City and he can't just leave his post, but the Constructicons say they will guard Crystal City in his, in his place while he goes to help. It turns out there was no attack in the capital city and Omega Supreme arrives back to Crystal City, seeing it being knocked down and harvested for crystals by the Constructicons. At this point in the episode, Andy, we've got a commercial break, so I think this might be a good time to sort of just discuss maybe a few bits and bobs of the flashback so far. I am loving this flashback story. It's so, so good. And the fact we see more of Cybertron, we get to see Omega... We get to see a different side of Omega Supreme I actually don't think I was aware of, despite 
kind of being sure I've seen this episode before. Child Jeremy must have just forgot it. But I am loving the whole build behind, just the whole build up of the story. And it actually makes logical sense, everything they're telling so far. Barring the fact that the Constructicons have got Decepticon emblems on them. Yeah, I mean, I, again, yeah, I'm, I'm always a big fan, as we've sort of discussed, of, of this show going back to Cybertron and getting to see a bit more of that because it's really super interesting. There are quite a few things that kind of irk me about this story, like, in contrast. Like, the Decepticon emblem thing is particularly... That's a really weird one because it also irks me that, you know, the Constructicons don't have kind of, like, Cybertron versions of their transformed modes. Agreed. Which is, like, you think about, like, Season 1, like, yeah, Episode 1 Season 1, you get those great kind of alternate modes of, like, Wheeljack and Bumblebee and the Seeker Jets, and, you know, you, you get that with a few other characters, like, throughout. You get to see what they were like when they transformed on Cybertron. And then the Constructicons, it's just like, oh, they're just still a dump truck and a cement mixer, because apparently, you know, he heavy plant equipment is exactly the same on both planets or something um which is kind of disappointing and then yeah the Decepticon emblem thing is really weird because that doesn't even require additional design work it's just like tell the animators just to lop the logos off or and you know just just make them neutral I think the part of this that I kind of don't particularly like is the whole like Megatron Robo Smasher thing because I feel like especially we've sort of you know we had that like public education video in a previous episode about like the Autobot Decepticon war that sort of made it sound like you know it was a very sort of naturally occurring civil war that sort of you know made sense and was kind of compelling whereas here it's just kind of like yeah Megatron just roamed around and sort of like forcibly reprogrammed people and that was it and I know I just find that way less satisfying than what tends to be like the general plot point of Transformers and like the, the the war came about, you know, because of a lack of energy and a sort of, you know, political schism in terms of how to deal with that or, you know, whatever, whichever way you kind of swayed it, it was very much like people joined a side because they had beliefs and they had a reason to do it rather than just a, like they were all forced to do it because it kind of recontextualized like all of the Decepticons of like you know Starscream, Sandwave, the whole lot like have they all just been reprogrammed because that's what this seems to be suggesting which is kind of like just sort of inherently makes that less interesting to me than these people are fighting for Megatron for a good reason or what they believe to be a good reason. That's a very fair point actually I, I hadn't thought of it like that and Taking Starscream as an example, if we go back to the episode where they find Skyfire, and there's that initial moment where Skyfire is hanging around with Starscream as a Decepticon, and Starscream's like, it's great being a Decepticon. You know, you get to blow up stuff, or whatever it was he <laughs> yeah. said. It, it does completely change the context of a heck of a lot of that. It also makes you wonder, like you say, who's actually been reprogrammed? Yeah, yeah. Or, or more likely that this was just something they wrote in for this episode and nobody considered it up until this point, <laughs> which I suspect is what actually happened. But hey, if, if nothing else, at least we, we've already learned that the secret of Omega Supreme is that he's a gullible idiot. So, you know, it's <laughs> like, we can we can write that one off right, right away. As we come back from adverts, Omega Supreme says to Prime, the worst has yet to come. Which I've got to say, Andy, at that point I'm thinking, oh, mate, you had a bad day. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a very bad day at the office for Omega Supreme. It is fair to say. Omega realizes that me that this is all Megatron's doing and vows to save his friends and get revenge. 
He says that he tracked them for weeks and eventually is able to corner them, managing to trap them and, and begin restoring them each accordingly. With all of that seemingly completed and the Constructicons feeling sane, quote-unquote, again, they head back to Crystal City's location to begin rebuilding it. And honestly, Andy, that wasn't far-fetched, because based on what we've seen in other Transformers episodes, Transformers can build stuff really freaking quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But they encounter Robo Smasher on the way, and this is when we discover that apparently Megatron's reprogramming via the Robo Smasher is permanent and can never be undone. But there was more. <laughs> Before the reprogramming, the Constructicons were each were each to their own, but Megatron had given them a new combined form, Devastator. We then see Devastator holding Omega Supreme in place as Robo Smasher begins to try and reprogram Omega Supreme. Robo Smasher was able to begin the process, but Omega was able to break free, fainting, seemingly, in the process of that. The Constructicons scarper. As the flashback concludes, Omega Supreme says that the Robo Smasher did change him, in that he now only feels hate for the Constructicons. They fled Cybertron in a starship, and he followed them for millions of years across the galaxy. When they eventually found Megatron on Earth, he followed them to Earth as well. Thus, Andy, explaining how both the Constructicons and Omega Supreme ended up on Earth. Yeah, and that does kind of, like, make sense. Although, as you mentioned, like, that's not the story that we've had previously. Like, I forget, I forget what we were, what we were previously led to believe around the Constructicons, but I'm pretty sure it was not that. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll finish this last bit of the story, as it were, but with the story concluded, Prime says that he wants Omega to stay here on Earth and take no action until he receives word from Prime. Message understood, Omega Supreme responds. So to put a pin on the conversation there for a second, the thing that, that does perhaps be a bit of a... Um, it perhaps muddies the waters a bit is, like you mentioned... We were under the impression the Constructicons were made on Earth. The reason that I mentioned there is a continuity flaw here from a previous episode, in Desertion of the Dinobots, when the Decepticons are needing the uh, Cybertonium, it was called, wasn't it? The substance mm -hmm. they needed. Every single Transformer, barring the Dinobots, needed Cybertonium. If I recall, we don't actually see the Constructicons in those episodes, so we don't actually know for sure if they also needed Cybertonium, but based on that, shouldn't they need it as well? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. The fact that we didn't see them, you know, gives you an easy out. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure they didn't plan far enough ahead to, like, <laughs> deliberately leave them out just so that they could have this big reveal. Um, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's that's kind of fine, and that that works. That you can you can certainly argue again. Sort of, it's the, the weird thing, you know, for me having come because I I thought I'd watched this episode in the past, but I don't think I had from from seeing this. I don't think I ever saw this one. Um, but it's like you know my my sort of my Constructicon. Um, like law from the comics is that you know they were very much constructed on Earth, um, so it's sort of you know it's kind of messes with my head a bit the idea that they weren't, 
Um, but, so, but yeah, I mean, that, that all kind of adds up because they weren't in desertion, which I, I, I couldn't remember whether they were or not. But uh, I, I, I feel like some at some point it's sort of been like... in it's sort of been suggested that they weren't from Cybertron, but I guess they've never really said like explicitly one way or the other. So they get a pass on that one. Hmm. But the flashback overall though, again, we've got our differing points on what we feel about it, but I, I genuinely loved the entire story. I felt it actually really added a lot more to Omega Supreme. And the fact he's got this really strong hate for the Constructicons it adds a whole new dynamic when you see them fighting each other at all now. Even like past fights where we've had little teasers of it. There's like a whole other, oh man, you really freaking hate them, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the sort of interesting thing you can do with kind of characters in, in this sort of setup where you can have these kind of grudge matches. And like, again, the, the comics were really good at having some of those, some of which were kind of obvious. It's like, I mean, in the UK comics, like Galvatron v Ultra Magnus was an, it was an obvious thing because it was two leaders, but also like it was, it wasn't just like Optimus Prime and Megatron. Like they, Galvatron basically loses his mind and goes insane over the fact that he has to destroy Ultra Magnus. And spoilers does repeatedly. <laughs> um, but, uh, you, you know, and I think it's like Megatron and Ratchet kind of turns into kind of this weird sort of rivalry where they don't actually kind of come face to face all that often in the comics, but there's this sort of thing that, that there's, there's like a beef there between the two of them. That's kind of interesting. So having that kind of thing always adds a little bit extra to proceedings. Um, I do always like, I mean, much like the kind of Starscream and, and Skyfire thing. I, I do like that kind of like pre-war sort of Cybertron life of kind of like, Oh no, like these guys used to be buddies and now they're on different sides of a conflict. Like, even though I don't necessarily like the way it's kind of pivots in this episode, like, I still appreciate that. And it's, it's, kind, it's, it's kind of cute having the Constructors Cause of Omega Supreme having a nice chat of like, oh, how was your day? It was lovely. How was your day? Did you have a good weekend? And all of that, like, which is kind of like really sort of entertaining to see from a series that's normally just, you know, pew pew lasers and everybody trying to, to off one another. Another part of the story I really enjoyed is it's the fact that Megatron is the one that created Devastator. I think that's a really nice touch to the story, just to add Megatron's dark side or darker side of what else could he do to like win a war type type situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that you know it would be a really if you wanted to do like a sort of deep dark kind of episode or story or comic or whatever around would be really interesting of just like you know the 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 birth of devastator and like maybe the mental effect that it has on the constructicons because if it was a forced thing that they like have to combine you know and and we've sort of seen like you know we've seen the constructicons kind of being like a bit snarky at each other in other episodes like there's a really interesting thing you could do there with uh, their kind of like you know having to share maybe the same mind space basically when they combine but uh, hey I'm, I'm just here writing my own transformers fan fiction so i should probably stop <laughs> we then cut to astro train departing for and arriving on the asteroid that we mentioned earlier and is loaded up with the mind ore now remember how andy's favorite autobot cosmos was charged with getting more info he is sneaking around and does a Cosmos thing in that he tries to steal some of the ore loaded onto Astro Train, slips on a non-existent banana peel, 
crashes in a heap on the floor, and then scurries away quickly, with seemingly Astro Train not noticing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it kind of the suggestion when he gets back to like the arc is that he was noticed, and that it's like, yeah, I, you know, I got what I wanted, I got the evidence I needed, but yeah, they spotted me. To be fair, this was the point that kind of turned me around on just like feeling sorry for Cosmos because clearly, like the right, <laughs> clearly it's the writers that have got 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 it in for him at this point. Like, you know, there were some episodes where you felt like there was kind of a necessity to. Cosmos kind of like maybe not quite knocking it out of the park and so it sort of made sense as like an in-character thing but now like you say there was absolutely no reason for him to fail this mission at the final hurdle but somehow he still managed to do it and it's like oh you're just being mean to him now like this is you know you could have just had him complete this task successfully and say yeah here you go and you know it would have had no functional effect on the story one way or the other but no you had to make cosmos mess it up so poor cosmos is my is my my angle for this episode <laughs> as you mentioned cosmos presents to prime the ore that he took from astro train and prime is happy with this but tells him to get back to the asteroid again which cosmos is less than pleased about it's the equivalent of a child going what again <laughs> because prime wants to know where the refinery is the decepticons have got perceptor then conduct conducts a spectrographic analysis of the ore and Teletran confirms it's high in energy, but its origin unknown. Knowing what the Decepticons are after, Prime tells Omega Supreme to go and have a fight with the Constructicons and destroy the asteroid. Omega Supreme's response, Revenge, soon. Anticipation, high. Vengeance, good. <laughs> it's almost like a Batman line, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> However, just as Omega takes off into space, Prime receives additional info from Teletran, saying that the ore has organic nature, meaning it's alive. <laughs> that was a nice little curveball. I, I like that for a bit of a storyline twist, Andy, because it's certainly now, it adds that other dynamic for Omega Supreme of, he just wants to beat some Constructicon ass, quite frankly. And then he's got to destroy the asteroid, but now it's a question of can Prime get through to him? It's, it's a nice little dilemma they've got there. Yeah, it would have been a much nicer dilemma if Optimus Prime hadn't sacrificed an entire insect planet last week. <laughs> just for, like, you know, just on a whim. Because, like, that was my first thought of just, like, oh, last episode, it was fine to destroy an, an organic <laughs> planet full of living things because it was convenient to, you know, your immediate concerns. This week, apparently, nope, nope, can't do that, can't blow up the organic matter. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not here to call out the hypocrisy, but Optus Prime is a hypocrite. <laughs> Prime, we've got your number! <laughs> On the asteroid, Omega arrives and is greeted by the Constructicons with laser fire. At that moment, Prime tries to issue updated orders to him, but Omega Supreme just switches off his communicator. <laughs> a fight then begins, but takes a unique turn as Omega tries to punch down a on a Constructicon, but ends up splitting the asteroid in half, revealing a creature that looks very similar to what I'll describe as a metal scorpion. Not Scorponok, but it is the first thing I thought of. Because it turns out the asteroid was an egg. <laughs> sure. During all of this, at the refinery where the Decepticons are, we get a glimpse of the Decepticons' refining process, but we see it fail. 
The creature is not happy, but flies to Earth. Omega's priority, though, is ending the Constructicons, to, to be put very simply. Teletran then picks up the creature on its sensors, and Cosmos has been able to find the location of the refinery about 10 miles away, north of Mount Mackenzie, he says. reason I mention that, Andy, is because in doing some further research, apparently that is legitimately a place in British Columbia. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it, it's sort of an interesting thing, actually, about this series as a whole, is they they don't make up places. Like, they always use, pro- I mean, obviously, like, the alien planet. Fall on three! <laughs> yeah, they're probably, like, unnamed alien planet from the other week is probably not actually a planet. But, like, all, all the places on Earth, they do seem to, like, always go for somewhere real, which is it's cool, like, you know... So many shows just make up kind of, you know, random names. And I, I think there's something to just having actual places and locations that he, even as a kid, like, he yeah, was not massively knowledgeable about American democracy, democracy, geography, <laughs> same, same thing. Um, you know, I, I always appreciated that, oh, well, these are actual places. And, you know, you could look them up in an encyclopedia or whatever. An atlas, that's the word. <laughs> It's interesting you mentioned about the real places as well, because then the creature is bound for San Francisco on the western coast of the US. So we're now going to not only Canada in this episode, but also America. Or rather the yeah. west coast of America, I should say specifically. Yeah, get, get, getting around. I, I also, I can't remember the entire context of this, but I did make a note here about Megatron using the phrase energy juice, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Uh, <laughs> His version of a can of monster or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we know we know what the Decepticons do with energy on, on their downtime. So maybe that's maybe that's the euphemism. I just need some energy juice. Drunk Decepticons. Go back and watch the episode Microbots. I think it was everyone. It was a it was a wild ride. So the Autobots roll out for San Francisco, but then Teletran updates Prime because Prime's not got enough going on already today, telling him. Uh, that the egg is also a source of the creature's food. So the creature needs to be returned to the egg, which only Omega Supreme can do, because Prime didn't have a difficult enough day as it was. The Autobots arrive on what I think is the Golden Gate Bridge. It, it, it looked like it had seen better days, quite frankly, and it hadn't even been attacked yet. And they make for the creature, which begins eating a building. We then see a fight between the Autobots and the creature, but it is abundantly clear this creature, which is unnamed, I should also say for the record, it is far too powerful. We cut to the Arctic, (laughs) quote-unquote, where we get to see Omega and Devastator, albeit briefly, have a fight. Prime interrupts Omega at this point and has to reason with him, highlighting that the situation in San Francisco is more important than than trying to prevent from what happened in the story he mentioned earlier on Cybertron happening again. He calls the creature to hatch, so it is his responsibility to fix it. From Optimus Prime, quote-unquote, San Francisco is going to be destroyed. Are you going to let it all happen again for something as useless as revenge? What a quote, Andy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Again, Optimus Prime really not messing around in this episode. Omega agrees, and during all of this conversation, the Constructicons have overheard this and relay the information to Megatron, making a quick getaway. Megatron tells Hook, once they have arrived to to tell him more, to convert the generator that they were using as a refinery item into a laser blaster so they could destroy the asteroid with it. 
We then see the creature causing all sorts of carnage in downtown San Francisco. Beachcomber saying, Relax, man. Remember, we're all one with the universe. Tracks responding with, We're about to become one with the pavement. Duck! (laughs) (laughs) But then Omega Supreme arrives on the asteroid, it should be said as well, and is able to lead the creature seemingly back into the sky or space. It's kind of difficult to tell at this point. And Megatron is about to fire the blaster, but Prime arrives and single-handedly takes out this new device with, as we've seen but in previous episodes, Andy, his ridiculously incredibly accurate sharpshooting skills from an obscene distance away with his with his hand cannon. Yeah, yeah, just no-scopes it, just like that. <laughs> impressive, impressive sniping. We see the creature devour the asteroid and fly away into space, we assume never to be seen again. On the Golden Gate Bridge, Prime thanks Omega for his help and hopes that one day, despite his feelings having been taken away, he hopes he'll see there are more important things in life than revenge. Omega Supreme's response as the episode ends, possibility growing. And and, and he seems to shed a tear. Right? (laughs) Which is, you know, I, I feel like I should have been touched by, but I just kind of like found it mildly amusing but (laughs) clearly there was just this sort of like you know oh we need to show that maybe there is some emotion still to be found and like well how do we do that he's a robot just make him cry like i know he's a robot but just just a single tear rolls down his cheek give him an autobot tear duct he'll be fine (laughs) so this episode overall andy the the introduction of the scorpion monster was certainly a curveball i didn't expect I enjoyed it as a concept, but this felt like it would have been a good scenario for this story to maybe have been spread out over two parts. So you could have had more of the Constructicon Omega Supreme beef, but also this going on, and it very much being more emphasised that there is a big morality choice here that Omega Supreme needed. Yeah, I mean, it certainly it feels like two stories kind of slammed together into one because, you know, that you have this, the whole backstory, you know, feels like it should always take up an episode on its own. And then, yeah, you have the whole asteroid thing going on, which also feels like an episode's worth of content. And it does, it does an all right job of kind of reconciling the two and, and keeping them together. And they're both reasonably solid from a storytelling perspective, like, you know, beyond my kind of gripes with, you know, what some of it means for the bigger picture stuff um but yeah it was it was a fine and decent episode this is another episode i think that really suffered from like animation quality issues like especially towards not just animation actually towards the end of this episode the editing is a real mess on it like there are I'm not sure whether it's because they were short of animation and there are just some really weird cuts to try and hide that. Because there are some points where you kind of, you get a shot, it cuts away, then it cuts back to that and kind of like repeats it effectively. And I'm not sure whether that was just an error in their like editing suite or whether they were just short of like cuts of animation and just were just making do and splicing stuff together. Um, But that really doesn't help like to... To put some of the like the the climactic parts of this story together because it, it feels kind of kind of clumpy um, and just generally like it's not the best looking episode and and again I mean you know not to rag on the like the whole Constructicons not having sort of Cybertron you know vehicle modes but like final episode we'll be talking about on this this podcast like we get some really awesome character design work and it's like man I wish they'd put that into doing the Constructicons as well and giving them a different, you know, 
vehicle mode because that would have been cool to see but so this sort of felt like you know it was a bit of a slammed together episode but you know it does it does all right off the back of that probably the weakest of these four episodes we're talking about here but you know not not a bad one by by any stretch Mm. which who would have thought we'd be saying that an episode called the secret of omega supreme might be the weakest of this batch yeah, yeah, that's and, and in, in a way that is part of its problem as well. Like you know that that title sets up a lot, especially given the way you know we we've been talking about this and we've we've been talking ourselves into wanting a really big, grandiose Omega Supreme backstory, and then you know you kind of get it. And it's like yeah, that was all right, but you know we we wanted we wanted the world and we didn't get it. So you know that's probably on us, but. It's funny you mentioned about, like, the animation quality, because I noticed that as well. And interesting trivia note for you from the TF Wiki about this. The episode's animation plays out as though the budget ran out about halfway through. While early on we get lovely shots of Omega looming over Prime and Astro Train launching from Decepticon headquarters, later on multiple shots are recycled to increasingly nonsensical effect. Omega's capture of the Constructicons, for example, contains two different shots we saw just a couple of scenes back. The the refinery establishing shot is reused three times, and Prime's attack on the refinery reuses the same explosion three times in a row. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a real struggle, but uh, hey, you know what what can you do? Sometimes you've got tight deadlines, and you just got to do what you can. Exactly. But from there, everybody, it is time to move on to our next episode. That being episode 30 of season two, Child's Play. We begin, Andy. You could say predictably, I would say never in a million years would I have guessed this, at a completely packed baseball stadium where the Decepticons have halted play in a game because, as I've written it down, they've parked a space bridge in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, I mean this. This is what when I said that this is like the, the the two greatest minutes ever committed to television. This is what I'm talking about. Like this whole like opening, the opening scenes of this episode are absolutely tremendous. Like they are complete nonsense and incredibly stupid. But oh my god, they're so fun. Write down. I, I mean, the, the I, did did you write down the opening line from like the baseball coach guy because that just sets the scene so beautifully. <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't write it down in hindsight, so, but, but did, did you? Or I did, yeah. Like the opening line, like spoken at great volume, is just this like baseball coach saying, "As general manager of this stadium, I respectfully request that you allow us to play ball." <laughs> and then it just pans from him to just Decepticons, who, as mentioned, have just parked their space bridge, and it's just like I was just straight away just bolt upright and I said, "Yep, sold on this. Let's, <laughs> let's. I, I want, I want more of this." And it only gets better. It only gets better. Megatron then says. Since the humans are so eager to play, this stadium will make the perfect space bridge. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot I'm going to be describing here, so hopefully I will do this justice. Thrust then encourages everyone to play by making his arm cannon a makeshift baseball launching machine. Yeah, it's so good. It's amazing. (laughs) This prompts us to see Soundwave throw a human... To Skywarp saying, think fast, Skywarp, throw. <laughs> we see Ravage chasing a human around the pitch and so much more. Okay, Decepticons, it's our turn to bat, says Prime as the others arrive. 
rather as the Autobots arrive, I should say. We then get a number of baseball-related puns and or parodies, with Starscream dropping two humans from the sky, but Inferno catching them with a giant net, and we audibly hear someone shout, STRIKE ONE! <laughs> we get Braun launching Soundwave from fourth base to Starscream, who is on the space bridge at this point. STRIKE TWO! And after Bumblebee successfully hits back some of Thrust balls that he's launched from his arm cannon, Prime punches a rocket from Thrust into the sky while he is saying, time for a pitch hitter. Which, for those who don't know, in baseball vernacular, that's a substitute batter. So that actually does make sense. All of this action leads to a mixture of Autobots and Decepticons being inside the boundaries, as I've written down, of the space bridge, tussling with each other, and Perceptor being on the outside, trying to make use of the control panel there to deactivate it. After Megatron is unceremoniously thrown outside of the aforementioned boundaries by Prime, he sees this happening, i.e. Perceptor using the control panel, and shoots it, the resulting explosion sending Perceptor within the space bridge's boundaries next to a bunch of Energon cubes. Then, the space bridge activates. And when Megatron realises he's just lost a boatload of Energon, he is not a happy camper. But then we see Prime and a bunch of other Transformers as well floating through the, as I've written down, the transport void of the space bridge. I'm going to stop there, Andy, for a second, because <laughs> there's probably more we need to unpack here. Like you say, it... it like, we've talked a lot of Transformers in, like, in all of the episodes that we have done so far covering the show. If you want a mental two minutes like you've alluded to, this is the two minutes you should go out of your way just to watch during a lunch break or something. It's freaking great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that almost the problem with this episode is, like, at that point, I was like, well, nothing can top this. Like, you've, <laughs> you've already... Like, this should have been the end of the episode, maybe not the start, because, yeah, like, it's... And again, I mean, having kind of ragged on the animation quality of the previous episode, this feels like a bunch of scenes where the animators were having a lot of fun with it. Like, you know, it, it really goes for it. It sells it all. Lots of good kind of, like, slapstick, you know, people falling around all the baseball puns. My my favourite moment that, that kind of tops all this off at the end is when, yeah, the, the space bridge activates and Megatron's like, my Energon cubes are gone. It's like, yeah, half your troops are gone, Megatron. Like, <laughs> never mind the Energon cubes. Like, they've all disappeared into the void. But he's just more worried about his next drink, I guess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, his openings go. Like, you know, he just... Uh, I mean, I, I, it's partly as well, I think, because we've had quite a lot of episodes in season two that are quite slow starters. They're quite quiet, you know, there's not much going on, and they build to something. Whereas this just drops you, like, in medias res into this massive... Never thought I'd say that on a Transformers podcast. Um, <laughs> in medias res into the middle of just insanity and just everything kicking off. And that's kind of great. Like, I sort of wish this series did that a bit more often of just, like, start with the, the big hitters, with every pun intended, and then, you know, let, let's build some stuff from there. Because that was incredibly fun. And, like, I, I could legit just go and, like, watch those two minutes again right now and have just as much of a good time. So, yeah, if, if you've not watched this episode, just just check out the start. And, you know, the, it's, it's a good episode in general. But as, as a start to episodes go, it's fantastic. It is something very special. So, we've gone through all of that. The space bridge has hurled a bunch of Transformers away. 
Upon arrival, wherever they've ended up, because it turns out it's not Cybertron, we come to find out that the Autobots Optimus Prime, Inferno, Bumblebee, Perceptor, and Sideswipe, along with the Decepticons, Starscream, Soundwave, Ravage, and Thrust, have all landed on an alien planet. But we quickly come to realise this isn't a normal planet. As Starscream manages to open a giant jack-in-the-box and also get crushed by a massive squishy ball. <laughs> Soundwave is then attacked by a giant alien cat-like creature. Thrust ends up being eaten by a fish and Ravage is immobilised by a plant. Sentences I didn't think I'd be saying, but sure. <laughs> The Autobots use this distraction to roll out Energon Cubes in hand, well, in Prime's trailer, anyway, and we come to find a building of some kind, like a deserted building, if you will. During, now, during all of this back on Earth, the space bridge has blown up. Problem, clearly. And the remainder of the Autobots head back to HQ to try and figure out where the heck their comrades have gone. Back on Mysterious Alien Planet, we suddenly see a giant green hand grabbing the Decepticons and putting them all in a single goldfish bowl. It turns out to be a giant boy who we later find out is named... Now, Andy, we're on an alien planet. We could have a very unique thought-out name here for someone. You know, we had, like, the episode of The God Gambit where there were some unique names of characters on there. I did not expect the unique alien boy's name to be as simple as Aaron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you know, cl 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 classic name across the universe, as it turns out. <laughs> and we are in Aaron's bedroom. Now, the boy and his cat, who we come to find out is called Nitro, which is a great name for a cat. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> they are very happy with their new toys. However, Nitro knows there are more and tries to get them out of the building set the building I alluded to a few moments ago, but to no avail. Thrust and Ravage both try to escape the goldfish bowl, but are both quickly caught. Thrust literally being held in airplane form by a piece of string tied to a drawer. Sucks to be him. And Ravage is put... Actually, worse for Ravage, Ravage is put in an animal cage with another pet and starts running on a hamster wheel. <laughs> Yeah, which is great. He just goes for it as well. Like, it's not even... It's just like, oh, this looks fun. <laughs> it's just like... It's the most cat-like thing... Well, actually, no. The most cat-like thing Ravage did was getting pet by Soundwave in that episode, which was adorable. Yeah. But the second most cat-like thing <laughs> Ravage is like, oh, a toy, I'll play with that. Every robot for himself! Shouts Starscream as he and Soundwave break the remainder of the goldfish bowl and make a run for it. Soundwave is caught and is put in a toy box, and the funny-looking one as Aaron describes Starscream, manages to get to the building set, but sees the Autobots are there, and promptly begins to attack them, blowing up some of the Energon cubes. Of course, this causes smoke, which the boy notices emanating from his building set. Everyone runs out of the building, that being the Autobots and Starscream, to preserve the remaining Energon. Once this is done, Starscream is scolded by Aaron, and is put in a toy box. There's a pattern forming here, by the way. This is the point where Aaron formally introduces himself and is grateful for the Autobots' help. Just when it looks like we're gonna get some answers, Aaron's parents, well, we assume it's their parents anyway, come into the bedroom because of the smoke. 
you know, like good guardians slash parents should do. Aaron explains what happened and proves it by showing his parents the Decepticons, who are freaked out and are also attacked by them. But that doesn't stop them gathering them up and putting them all now in a single toy box. Unfortunately, Nitro leads them to the location of the Autobots, because they were hiding in a drawer at this point. The mother is freaked out and says they are going to call the authorities. Pause for a break there for a second, Andy. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on here. I, I, I really like the way they've set up this whole kid's bedroom thing, and the fact they're just really tiny creatures now on a giant alien world. It, you could argue it's some very simple and perhaps stereotypical, like, of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids type stuff, but it works really well in this context because they actually utilise the Transformers' abilities within that context. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of, like, setup is, like, a classic and... I'm not sure it's overused necessarily, but it's, like, it's a well-used trope for a reason, and that's because it's really goddamn fun. Um, and it's, it's, it's played pretty well. I mean, again, talking about kind of the the animation quality of, of this episode compared to others. Like, even in terms of, like, the the storyboarding and how this is, like, this pans out, like, it gets it just right of, you know, you think, okay, they've ended up in some weird planet. Okay, there's something not quite right here. And then you, you get that, like, oh, I know what's going on here, like, realisation. And it kind of layers that really well. But, yeah, it's just a, it's just a lot of fun. Like, it's it's a thing that you can, you can do a lot of interesting stuff with, you know, like I say, Toy Story watched it, saw this episode. You know, the, the director clearly watched this episode. And was like, haha, when I'm when I'm grow up, I'll do this, um, and make millions, um, because you know no one's ever done this before. That, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's I I. I'm a bit of a sucker for this kind of thing. Like, I think it's always a really good fun, um, good fun vehicle for doing this kind of stuff. And yeah, th this does it really well. And uh, yeah, so some really great moments. Like you say, Thrust being like, Haha, piece of string's not going to hold me down is like, <laughs> oh, oh no, it is actually. <laughs> um, you know, all, all of that stuff is is really is really good. And uh, you know, it's it's also just a, a really sort of interesting twist on the the norm of like you know the the transformers are usually the most powerful beings in the room in any given situation and suddenly you know they're literal playthings um and it's just a really fun kind of twist on that that uh, that, that I can can very much get behind back on earth because yeah that's still a thing folks we see Chip, now back in his traditional brown jacket, I noted Andy, not his random blue one he wore for a couple of episodes, <laughs> with Spike and the other Autobots all not able to determine where the heck their friends are. We then cut back to the alien planet, where a, a man of some kind, from the Authority, are having a closer look at the Decepticons, but have restrained them to a table. <laughs> It's quite weird. They decide that they need to dissect them, much to Aaron's horror. But before they can do it, Aaron grabs the Autobots. At this point, they're all confined in a small box and runs off. Evading chasing police officers, sorry, authority officers, he is approached by someone he knows named Marty. And we come to find out Marty is a bully, most likely a spoiled brat. The Autobots manage to conceal themselves by jumping into a bin. <laughs> and Marty eventually just leaves after he is trying to just figure out what the heck is so special that Aaron's holding. But obviously, nothing's there now because they're gone. 
Once they've successfully evaded Marty, they determine that they can use Aaron's dad's telescope to hopefully figure out where the heck they are in the galaxy. Meanwhile, back at the dissection table, Ravage is able to free himself and freeze the other Decepticons. And there is a wonderful moment where all the Decepticons are then flying through the air. And the way Ravage flies is literally running through the air. Yeah, it's... I, I... <laughs> I mean, I, 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 all I wrote is just Ravage flying dot 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 because I wasn't really sure what else to say about it. And that remains the case. I'm not really sure what to say about it other than to acknowledge it's a thing and maybe maybe he should have just gone in Soundwave like normal because it looks weird. Also worth noting that at this point, Soundwave overhears the conversation about the telescope that I mentioned a moment ago. The authorities catch up to Aaron and so the Autobots jump down into a sewer immediately making me wonder, are we going to get the Ninja Turtles? But clearly not. <laughs> with their goal being to meet up with Aaron back at his house. Because Andy, if there's one thing that we know for sure, the Autobots know exactly how to get back to Aaron's house via a sewer. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of like Autobot science to this, but we, we, we are not privy to that, so we'll just have to <laughs> assume that that's what's happened. The Decepticons follow. We then get some sewer fighting, including a random moment where Perceptor, wielding a pencil, is fighting Soundwave with a pipe. Perceptor saying, quote-unquote, The pen is mightier than the staff, Soundwave. Which leads to Soundwave to just prom promptly just chop through the pencil. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what else you find in a sewer in any galaxy, Andy? Rats. And we see a space rat that is quickly fended off, but Bumblebee and Soundwave are then pushed into a, like, a sewer drain whirlpool. Inferno's ladder coming in handy to get Bumblebee out of the pinch. Soundwave is just fine. We don't know how. But now a massive tidal wave of water approaches. The Decepticons fly away, because they can, and obviously it's now been established, despite what occurred in Season 1, the Autobots can't. So the Autobots literally ride a storm in a teacup to get back outside to make for Aaron's house. I'll pause there for a sec, Andy. Anything you would like to add based on what we've seen just then? No, I mean, this is this is all good classic kind of, you know, the the big people have been made little stuff. Um, and it's all, it's, it's all pretty fun and enjoyable to watch. Like, And again, I mean, we've, we've talked in the past about episodes that kind of managed to, to mix things up a little bit when it comes to kind of fight scenes. And this is another example of that where, you know, you can kind of make use of the, the, the size differential of, you know, Transformers versus World to do some, some fun little things. And yeah, it manages to, to squeeze some of those in as well. So still here for it. At Aaron's house, it's now night time and Nitro the cat helps the Autobots find Aaron. Perceptor quickly surmises how they can use the telescope to get home using the Energon cubes, which, conveniently, Aaron had safely stored away through all of this commotion. As they activate the telescope, the Decepticons arrive. They take Bumblebee hostage briefly, and then commandeer the telescope and the Energon cubes, and use that to get home and transport away. The Autobots are now stranded. The Decepticons arrive back on Earth, and are promptly attacked by crocodiles. They are also having a good day. Meanwhile, Aaron has an idea of using one of his toy rocket ships to help get them home. Perceptor takes a look at it and is inspired and starts 
sort of babbling off some big techno jargon to which Prime just says, Perceptor, just do it. Yeah, (laughs) it's one of the things that I I enjoy. Again, like, sassy Optimus Prime not in the mood for any of this because he does this a couple of times in this episode. Like, when when the whole telescope thing comes up and, like, Perceptor, like, waxes lyrical about it, Optimus Prime says, don't tell us about it, just do it. And then (laughs) even more forcefully in this case, it's just like, Perceptor, just do it. Just shut up. And it's just, it's just, I, I, I enjoy his like instant exasperation about uh, about Perceptor, which you know is a is a recurring thing in this show. But Optimus Prime particularly just has no time for it in this episode. Speaking of Perceptor, actually, quick little sidebar. I did like the way that we've now randomly established that in like in uh, in microscope form, Perceptor can just travel around like a car. Yeah, I mean it's just. <laughs> Microscope on wheels, sure. Like, what, what, what could you ask for? <laughs> so they prepare the rocket. Perceptor has done his thing. The rocket takes off, and they head home. And Aaron is genuinely really happy that he's been able to help them. There's some really ropey animation as this is happening, and that's where the episode ends. Yeah. So I was, <laughs> I was super like dissatisfied for. A few instances until I... I was so angry, Andy. I was so angry. Yeah, it's just like... It's just such a weird, like, non-ending. I mean, I am... I absolutely love, like, what they do with the Decepticons in this episode, that they just land and just immediately get attacked by alligators. It's hilarious. <laughs> and, again, it's a really good bookend to the whole, like, baseball nonsense at the start to just have, like, alligator, like, reptile nonsense at the end. But, yeah, I mean... Whoever was layering the cells for the animation here was clearly like doing it at like five o'clock on a Friday night and really wanted to get home because they no no care was taken in layering those cells in the correct fashion and it just all turned into a complete mess. Um, but yeah, I was just like, you can't just end it like this. Like, do they get home? Like, what's what's going on here? And then I started the next episode and my questions were answered. So like, well, well done for your stealth two parts of Transformers. It's really really funny because i watched this episode but then didn't watch episode 31 until the day after so i was still kind of salty for like a day i think it was like just thinking oh they're just gonna go back to they're just gonna be on earth it's all gonna be fine you know they clearly just got back it's like fine we'll never we'll never actually know what happened like it's a deleted scene lost in the annals of time somewhere yeah I mean, yeah, and I mean, that's exactly what I assumed was going to happen from from this. And I, I mean, at least you got the full kind of, like, kid watching this on TV experience, you know, having to wait until the next day to <laughs> f- figure out what the heck is, what, why is the story ended like this? Um, and then suddenly you are, you are surprised to learn that uh, actually the, 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 the journey continues. And the journey continues in episode 31 of season two. The Gambler. Because this episode begins in space looking at a rocket ship. Because as we've talked about, there's freaking continuity. It's even the same Autobot inside the ship, which I was half expecting to not be the case. Yep, yep. My first note for this episode is, oh wait, it's not over. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately for them, the rocket breaks down. But suddenly their ship is captured and loaded into another ship. The Autobots are taken into a lab and loaded, effectively, into giant test tubes. This is when they are introduced to the captain of the ship. Now, (laughs) full disclosure here, Andy, because this is going to be a recurring theme. I realise, having done some research after, 
The guy's name is Bosch, like the washing machines. Mm-hmm. However, all my notes, I genuinely thought he was called Botch. <laughs> you see, I, I, I can tell you that I knew his name was Bosch straight away because the dumb joke I wrote in my notes was, is he a drill sergeant? <laughs> so, so yeah, like if if, if 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 anybody is making a Transformers theme set of Christmas crackers and is looking to hire somebody to write the contents of said crackers, I am available for freelance work. Starscreamsghostpod at gmail dot com. Drop us an email. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really caught me off guard. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So, I would try and say Bosch, but I'm telling you now, people, I'm just going to say Botch over and over, because that's all I can think of now. Um, Botch, he quickly activates the device and says, quote-unquote, your weapons deactivated, your inherent powers nullified, and your free will is suspended. Ta-da! Instant slaves! I like I like this guy like just like <laughs> I mean again you th- think about all the nefarious plans that Megatron's launched that has taken you know entire episodes multiple episodes to almost come to fruition and go wrong this guy's just like wham bang y- you're slaves now job done um, and if, if only one of his pesky machines didn't break down like you know he'd have he'd he'd have been home and dry so the machine has been activated and it's working on all the Autobots barring Smokescreen which sidebar Andy we didn't actually I don't think we actually mentioned that Smokescreen was one of the Autobots in the last episode because he's literally never name checked and doesn't say anything yeah which is pretty typical Smokescreen in this series I kind of this episode made me realise that normally the only time Smokescreen appears is when a smoke screen is required. Like that's literally. I mean, it, it's kind of the, the opposite of you had one job. Like smoke screen does have one job. He always does it. He always does the smoke screen thing. But it's the only time he ever gets called into the series, which is why I think it's why I inherently like this episode from the get go because it's like, yay, smoke screen gets an episode that isn't just him making a smoke screen. So go go for it. Knock him out. <laughs> So Smokescreen manages to break out before being captured again and discovers that Botch's plan... Sorry, I am literally going to be saying Botch the whole time. Discovers that Botch's plan is to sell them for Energon. Now, interesting, Andy. I think this is the first time we've come to discover in the universe of Transformers that Energon is a form of currency, effectively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it sort of turns into more of a recurring thing as it goes. The the interesting part about this is you kind of as as you go through transformers you see it as a currency amongst kind of like you know robotic beings but like bosch isn't one of those he's just a human but he's it still seems that yeah they're dealing in in energon so you know c- convenient for the plot as it as it as it turns out but um yeah kind of an, an interesting little thing to to note now this is where the gambler part of the title of this episode comes into play as Bosch has a slot machine in his lab that he loses despite saying he rigged it so he would win. That's... you. you there's a lot we can say about that on its own, but I'm just going to carry on. Yeah, like, apparently he can make a machine that, like, strips beings of all of their free will and abilities on, on a whim, but slot machine? Nah, just too difficult, apparently. <laughs> Q smokescreen to say that he could show him how it's done. Bosch telling him, very well, but if you lose, you lose your existence. No pressure. He says in response, smokescreen, I love a good sport. 
And we see kind of like a cable of some kind appear from his wrist and attach itself to the machine, which he then wins, meaning he cheated. The gambler says, the gambler, Bosch, sorry, says, Incredible, you're a gaming whiz! Smokescreen says as the cable returns into his wrist, It's all in the wrist. Yeah, that was that was a good line. Not not sure it, it kind of like glosses over the fact that an Autobot is cheating, which again seems. Uh, I mean, hey, they like Optimus Prime destroyed a planet of insects a few episodes ago. I should probably, you know, get over the fact that sometimes there are grey areas in these things. But uh, you know, it just doesn't seem like a very Autobot thing to do. Is all I'm saying. Bosch realizes that he could get a lot of Energon chips with Smokescreen's help. Just to put it out there now, folks, it is literally referred to as Energon Chips throughout the entire episode because that's the currency element of it. And they agreed they are to head to the planet Monarchus. (laughs) Which, apparently, Andy, is the biggest gambling asteroid in the galaxy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, mean, kudos for going like Monarchus and not like less, I don't know, less Venus or something. (laughs) Las Vegas or something. (laughs) Yeah. And Bosch wants to utilize Sideswipe's talent, quote unquote, to win big and get enough energon to fuel his freighter. Smokescreen making it clear he wants his friends return to normal if he helps. Bosch kind of going, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> kind of me thinking, okay, I think I can see where this is going to go. But either way, a mutual agreement between the two is arranged. Suddenly, Bosch fires a beam at the slave-prepped Autobots and shrinks them to a tiny size because they clearly haven't had enough troubles trying not to be tiny already and are then put in a box for safekeeping on their trip because it's agreed that those four Autobots are going to be used as collateral for this endeavour. <laughs> risky, Andy. It's a risky play by smokescreen, but, you know, what are you going to yeah. do? Yeah, I mean, I guess he didn't really have a lot of other options, but, uh, you know, it's it's certainly... Uh, the, the, the funny thing about that is that there's not really any kind of thought that goes into it from Smokescreen's side. Like, it doesn't feel like he's kind of torn over, like, oh, I don't know, this is, this is like, you know, the stakes are really high here. He's just like, yeah, sure, that's fine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only my boss and some of his buddies, like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll gamble them, fine. All I do is make a Smokescreen periodically, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe, again, maybe there is some deep, like, disgruntlement of, like, well, I'll show them what else I can do. But, which which is kind of weird. You'd have thought they'd have maybe written, like, something a little bit in like that, but, you know, because a lot of these other character episodes have had that sort of angle of just, like, you know, Autobot is a bit disgruntled that they're not really being seen for their true abilities whereas this is kind of kind of interesting and a bit refreshing in a sense that it's like it's just smokescreen doing what he's got to do in the circumstances and uh, you know there's not really any deeper thought or meaning to it beyond like hey smokescreen's a cheat i guess is the moral <laughs> of the story the two head to monarchus but upon arrival it seems they're not having much luck using the autobots as collateral they end up having to go to a colony named Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, for anyone who perhaps couldn't figure out exactly how it's pronounced, which apparently is on the dark side of Monarchus, or as I put it, Andy, the shady side of the planet. (laughs) Yeah, fair. They see a gladiator pit of sorts, where we see two aliens that we come to know one of them is referred to as an animalian. Get it, folks? Get it? Uh, Embarking in a battle. 
It's the old can you last 60 seconds against the champion type scenario with people betting money as this goes along the case as well. You have to pay 10 Energon chips to enter, and if you win, not only, Andy, do you get to leave with your life, you also get 100 chips. Bargain. Well, well worth it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got my 10 chips back and then some. Yay. <laughs> we are then introduced to Lord Gaikany, which I've described, Andy, as being the Transformers equivalent of a young Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, I mean that that was uh, I I'd been having like background thoughts of this all feels a bit Star Wars and <laughs> that was the moment of like oh this is actually quite a bit Star Wars there's definitely some inspiration going on there. Actually, you know what? That's the thought. What what year did Return of the Jedi come out? Uh, it was 82 83 years before before this film, I think, before this this series. Uh, 83 so yeah, because yeah. so literally this is kind of lifting the Return of the Jedi stuff in in Jabba's palace, like the Rancor yeah. pit and everything. Now you've mentioned yeah. it, it's just like, oh yeah, I wasn't wrong in thinking that. <laughs> yeah, it has all of that, and who could have foreseen this? Given that Transformers the movie is literally almost just Star Wars, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Gaikini offers fifty chips and five hundred percent interest for the four Autobots. Though the offer is steep, as Bosch puts it, uh, they're then told it has to be payable within the hour, otherwise the Autobots are his. Gaikini then has the Autobots prepared for fights tonight. We cut to a casino somewhere else on Monarchus where Smokescreen has clearly made a lot of money in the very short time they have. But Andy, it's all gone to his head. And Bosch is trying to lead him away, given the amount of money they have is more than enough to, like, pay off the interest and also refuel his freaking ship. Smokescreen decides he's going to put one... He's going to do one more bet. He's going to bet it all. And you know what happens anytime someone bets it all, Andy? It comes back to bite them in the face. Because that little cable that I mentioned that allowed Smokescreen to, like, cheat, a, a creature which... Sidebar, looks very similar to a Jawa from Star Wars, just saying, uh, disconnects it, and Smokescreen loses all the money. <laughs> it, it does make me wonder, Andy, like, yeah, no, another sidebar here. It feels like in a weird way, though this does very fe very much feel like a Star Wars story, If it also, by the end of it, really makes it seem like there may have been a gambling th thing going on in the US because this feels very driven towards don't do gambling. Yeah, well, it, it, it's a weird thing because, I mean, you think about the other cartoons of that era that had, like, PSAs at the end of episodes that would, you know, like, He-Man would sit you down and be like, kids... Don't 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 gamble on the horsies or whatever. Um, and you know, Transformers never did that. Like they recorded some PSAs and never actually used them. Um, but yeah, there's I, I I feel like this is far more kind of like plot related than kind of trying to put this angle across. Um, but yeah, like I. I I mean, you almost... I, I guess it's mostly just plot-related, but, you know, you, you do wonder whether somebody, like, had a word in their ear of, like, you realise you can't just have smokescreen, like, win at gambling, because that would be a really bad message for the kids watching this cartoon. You've got you've to make him make him lose at some point. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, it, it is absolutely... If this was a show that had, like, public service announcements at the end, it would absolutely be a, like, kids, gambling is bad for you. Don't ever do it. And also, um, but, don't cheat. 
And well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a double whammy, isn't it? Of, of like, yeah, don't don't gamble, and if you do, don't don't cheat either. <laughs> Back at Gaikini's office, the Autobots are now his. Bosch and Smokescreen are given two passes to see the epic event that's going to take place later that evening: Animalians versus the Autobots. Good name for a film, if you ask me. Just saying. Yeah. Also, also, kudos for getting those flyers printed up so quickly. Like, <laughs> you know, just just straight straight to the the local photocopier to be like, I need a hundred of these. <laughs> Smokescreen is not happy about this and threatens Gaikini before leaving with Bosch. That's when Gaikini sends his aide Slizardo <laughs> to keep an eye on them. <laughs> Great name. Yeah, I mean that is just oh that 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 is a chef's kiss bit of bit of naming. Like love it. <laughs> so all this has been going on, but now we suddenly see Astro Train arrive on the planet and is carrying Dirge and Ramjet inside. The reason they've landed is because Astro Train needs Energon to be able to travel any further. The Seeker Jets head into town. Astro Train says to himself, quote unquote, it's always the, the same thing. I fly to points unknown, exhaust all my fuel, and they get to have all the fun. I mean, he, he, he has a point, apart from the episode where he got to be, like, god, god of an entire planet. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like he doesn't have any fun. Suddenly, while Dirge has a feeling that they're being watched, we suddenly see an unknown Autobot watching them. And he reports his location to something... And says he is going to follow them. Elsewhere, in a bar more specifically, we see Smokescreen lamenting his cock up at the casino. Smokescreen saying, oh, if only I'd stopped before that last bet. And Bosch saying, I know, if only I had an Energon chip for every time I've said that. <laughs> also, I now officially want this episode to be called Cock Up at the Casino. <laughs> that's a, a much better episode title than The Gambler. But anyway... <laughs> While they're talking, we see Slizardo being manhandled by the bouncers at the door for reasons unknown. But during the commotion, Smokescreen and Bosch decide to check out the fight tonight as it may be a way to get their Autobot friends back. Then, the unknown Autobot that I mentioned a moment ago suddenly helps Slizardo, and Smokescreen is taken aback because he recognises the symbol on the chest, but has no idea who it is. Great Cybertron! An Autobot, says the unknown Autobot when he sees the emblem on Smokescreen's chest. We come to find out the unknown Autobot is named Devcon, not Defcon, D-E-V, Devcon, who left Cybertron millions of years ago during the Great War, he says. And then suddenly, Cesardo is pledging his eternal gratitude and loyalty for saving his life, quote-unquote, according to Bosch. And is, and is doing so to Devcon. But Devcon ain't having none of it and just throws him away. <laughs> it's like, alright mate, calm down. <laughs> Devcon goes on to say that he is a bounty hunter now and is searching for Decepticons who must be brought to justice, specifically naming Astro Train, Ramjet and Dirge. Smokescreen has a guess where they might be. At Gaikini's office, dialogue between the two Seeker Jets and Gaikini implies there's some kind of Energon-related business dealings going on between Gaikini and Megatron. 
with the Seekers saying that they've been hearing rumours that, that Gaikini's been shortchanging Megatron, which Gaikini nervously denies. The Seekers then notice the passes to the fight tonight and decide this is a show they can't miss. Let's stop there for a second, Andy, because we've covered a heck of a lot there. So I guess the, the, the big discussion points, I think, from all of this are, well, obviously we've, we've established how bad Smokescreen is at gambling, but there's also the element of we've got DevCon, this unknown Autobot who's a bounty hunter, but also seemingly Megatron's running an intergalactic Energon, like, black market trading ring. Yeah, I, I mean, th this is one of the things I like about Season 2 and the fact that we can now go off-planet. Like, you know, thank you, Omega Supreme, Cosmos, and Astro Train for <laughs> enabling this. Because, like, it does... You know, it's one of the fun things that the comics do does as well is once it gets the opportunity to go like off planet and away from Earth, you know, not only do you get Cybertron stuff, but you also get this kind of interesting, you know, universe build up. And I really like all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I mentioned more talking about the next episode we're going to discuss about, oh, I want, it made me want a spin-off series. I forgot to mention, I also want a DevCon's spin-off series yeah. not not just to find out that if, if, whether he was actually named after like uh, a, a comic con in the southwest of england um but also <laughs> like but, but also like he, he has a cool character design and like an autobot bounty hunter like i want i mean you know we're recording this at a time when you know there's just been announced that they're changing hands like who's doing the transformers comics like moving forward but that sounds like a really awesome thing to have, like a series of like Autobot Bounty Hunter. Like, sign me up. I want. I want to see what Devcon gets up to when he's not, you know, having to deal with Smokescreen's mess. Um. So yeah, like this is kind of a recurring theme over the, this episode and the next is just like introducing these sort of you know cartoon original characters that are really interesting and awesome. And it's like I really wanted to see more of all of them. It's interesting you mentioned about the bounty hunter thing because, of course, another thing that's currently going on when we're recording this is, I think it's on Disney+, Plus. they're now showing the Book of Boba Fett. And, of mm. course, given all the freaking Return of the Jedi references we've seemingly had in this episode, what's also in Return of the Jedi for a little bit? Boba Fett! And what's Boba yeah. Fett? A bounty hunter! <laughs> Yeah, and I, I am sure, yeah, that is also absolutely not accidental here. But, uh, you know, n nonetheless, bounty hunters are kind of cool and interesting for kind of episodic stories at the best of times. So, yeah, give me give me an autobook. Because, I mean, again, like the Transformers comics, like, you know, had, had Death's Head as a bounty hunter who was, you know, just kind of taking, you know, any... Any alt any transformers that he could get his hands on, and like there's some really cool, interesting stories that w with him, and you know he got spun off into his own comic series and stuff within the sort of you know the the wider universe and kind of got introduced into the Marvel universe. But an Autobot bounty hunter, like I I just find that idea really interesting, and he's kind of like a cool customer in this episode that I would love to have seen be like a recurring thing. So to have another pause in discussion for a second. Before, before we get to like the intergalactic trading ring side of things, perhaps as a note, would you like some notes about DevCon? Yes, please do. So, courtesy of the TF Wiki once again, DevCon's name is a play on the word DEFCON, an acronym related to military alertness. Although unconfirmed, it is thought 
along with the embargo on the word nuclear, the writers of the Generation 1 cartoon were not allowed to use the actual word DEFCON in light of the heightened Cold War tensions at the time, thus requiring a made-up sound-alike word. Yeah, I, I did I did think that was maybe what happened there, because yeah, the the 80s not really a good time to like casually drop like nuclear war references, because yeah, a little, little bit little, little bit fraught, a bit too soon. Another note for you, Andy. Defcon's inclusion in the Wreckers comic was due to writer Rob Gerbracht being a big fan of the character. A serialized web series written in the style of Gerbracht's Eight Plinks war journals was planned to describe the fall of the Peace Marshals and Defcon's escape from torture at the hands of Cryotech. These were among many ideas that went unserialized as 3H productions inched closer to eventual demise. Devcon's deep-seated anger and hatred hatred of Cyclonus, oddly alluded to throughout Betrayal, subsequently went unexplained beyond a general distrust for Decepticons. So, Betrayal being Enter the Wreckers Part 2 Betrayal in the comic line. Okay, yeah, because I've read, I think it's just like Wreckers Last Stand is, is the only kind of comic that I've read from that series, but I should I, I should clearly check out more of it since saying I want some DevCon and DevCon is in it and the Wreckers are cool, so I'm, I'm on board for that, I'll have to check it out. So, the intergalactic trading ring side of things, Andy, any thoughts on that? The fact that Megatrons obviously should have a seemingly burgeoning criminal empire underneath, you know, the, just a shadow empire, basically. I can't think of a better way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I really like it as a concept. I mean, this is probably another thing that was quickly dashed off as a reason of, like, how do we get some Decepticons into this storyline that is very Autobot-centric? Um, but, hey, it works. And, and, again, I mean, Astro Train is literally just there to ferry people around to other planets because, you know, it gives the writers some uh, some more depth and scope. So, uh, well, well done, Astro Train, for existing. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like it. I'm, I'm all for all of this kind of uh, planet hopping that we're doing at the moment we cut to later in the evening before the fight where Gaikini is effectively giving the Autobots the fighting equivalent of Energon steroids (laughs) just injecting them into him to make them be able to fight but stresses that the effects will wear off quickly ensuring their loss in the fight because it's bet rigging at its finest everybody before the fight starts, Gaikini tells the rabid audience he will cover any of the bets on the Autobots, but says they won't last two minutes. But nobody takes up the bets before the fight begins. Enter the arena, and Prime is holding his own against an Animalian, which prompts a huge betting storm from the punters. Though conveniently, at that exact moment when Gaikini suddenly got a lot of money in front of him, the Energon effects wear off, and Prime is downed, the fight is over. Then a tag team bout is quickly made, with Inferno now having to team up with Prime. But we don't get to see that battle, because, as Andy alluded to earlier, everybody, Smokescreen has had enough and leaves with Bosch because he has a plan. His plan is to back up by the front door of the arena and blow a smokescreen into it. I should also note, an open-air arena... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, a lot of Smokescreen's work has been done in the open air and he always seems to manage to, to, to do the Smokescreen thing. So, you know, I mean, do, do what you're good at. That's, you know, a fair, a, a, a fair kind of bit of career guidance and Smokescreen certainly does that. 
Of course, when this happens, there is like mass public panic, Gaikini's earnings are effectively stolen back from him, and there is just a giant evacuation of the venue as well. The Seekers are in pursuit, also struggling with smokescreens. Smokescreen? That's a weird tongue twister in a way, because they're choking on it, quite frankly. And they ultimately hit him good with some rockets, but Devcon arrives to help, using some fine sharpshooting abilities. And the Seekers realise it's him, and they run off. So clearly, there are more stories to be told, Andy, that we need to see. <laughs> At this very moment, Smokescreen alludes to, to the fact that they could use someone of Devcon's ability on Earth in the help against the Decepticons. But Devcon declines, saying he'll leave the Earth's protection to them, but he will help save his fellow Autobot friends here. Interestingly, as we see Smokescreen and Devcon make back for the stadium, we don't see Devcon transform at all. He's just like, the smokescreen just like driving along and Devcon's just like running along really fast. Suddenly, they encounter Slezardo, who tells them that the Seekers and Gaikini are running away with the Autobot friends and Energon. They are at the tarmac where Astro Train landed. Cut to Astro Train, where the Autobots are loading Energon into Astro Train, that being the slaves that I'm, I've alluded to. And a firefight then rapidly begins once Smokescreen and Co. arrive. While the Transformers are fighting, Slezardo and Bosch both head for Gaikini. But this is where Astro Train transform and says, quote unquote, Now prepare to meet my friend, Mr. Ionic Displacer. This is when Smokescreen does his thing again, blinding everyone in the area. Astro and Co. fly away. But this is when we now get to see Devcon finally transform. And he is only a freaking spaceship, Andy. Yeah, it's weird because I thought, like, when we didn't see him transform before, it's like, ah, oh, you didn't design a, a, trans a vehicle mode for him, did you? Like, you just made the cool robot mode and that was it. And I was kind of disappointed that they'd only half asked it and then it's like oh no actually you were just keeping this in reserve so that you could have your transformation scene later and i i fully respect that at this point as well remember how earlier in the episode where slizardo said i pledge my allegiance to you because you saved me he was saying that to devcon he now invites slizardo to join him as his partner which he does and they fly away pursuing the decepticons I want to see this buddy cop series, Andy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, I, I mean, it does almost feel like somebody somewhere was hoping that they could maybe angle for that. Because, yeah, the fact that Slizardo, which, again, just for reference, great name. Like, you know, I mean, Slizardo and Devcon, you know, that's 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 there's your kind of, like, buddy cop show right there. Like, it felt like maybe... Especially, again, given that we have this in the next episode back-to-back, -back, that... You do wonder, like, given that this was also the height of Transformers popularity, whether there was some angling within, like, Marvel to be, like, spin-off series? Can we maybe do a thing? Because, I mean, you know, the, the comic books were certainly trying it with, like, you know, Circuit Breaker and Death's Head, etc., etc. You do wonder whether there was some attempts to, you know, maybe create... And especially with, like, DevCon, where, you know, you could have him flying around to different planets, never meeting any of the actual Transformers that belong to Hasbro, and just be like, no, we... we, 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 we invented DevCon. Like, he's our character. We can do what we like with him. We then cut to a short time later, where the Autobot slaves have now been restored to their normal selves, but remember nothing of what's happened. Bosch has also agreed to take them all back to Earth. Hooray! 
and they've used all their Energon chips in restoring Yorterbots. So now they're out of money. Oops. The suggestion is made for, you know, let the Autobots have a little R&R, little rest and relaxation in the casino, which Prime <laughs> is game for. <laughs> and the episode ends with Bosch basically saying, this time, leave the gambling to me as they're all heading to the casino. What the heck, Andy? <laughs> yeah, so may- maybe not quite the public service announcement we were thinking of earlier. This come from, like, don't gamble kids to, like, even Optimus Prime likes a little bit of a flutter every now and then. I really, really like this episode. In fact, this and Child's Play together as a two-parter like we've been talking about is just really good fun. It's like what you would see maybe in other TV shows, like, oh, tries to think of some. Like, the idea, for example, like, if you look at Star Trek Voyager, which admittedly was many years later, but they're trying to get back to Earth, and it's just, like, stories of their journey along the way. Or you look at a classic series like Ulysses 31, kind of a similar thing. They're trying to get to a place in particular, and it's their stories along the way. It's just really, really good fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely loved both of these episodes. Like, you know, my, my one criticism at the end of Charles' play was like, that was a rubbish ending. And then as soon as it reali- I realised, like, oh, actually, no, that wasn't a rubbish ending. Like, yeah, both of those episodes are really strong, you know, not the most original ideas, but, like, really well executed and, you know, makes really good use of, like, the original characters that they introduce, as well as, kind of, the regular roster. I mean, in a way, like, you know, the the, the regular Transformers kind of take a bit of a backseat in this one, really. Like, they're, they're almost incidental, and it is, like, Devcon and Bosch and, you know, Slizardo <laughs> who kind of, like, take all of the, all of the, the, the kudos for this. Um, so, I think that's what makes this one feel particularly refreshing, because it's kind of almost, it's zero of your usual Transformers fare, and it's just like, hey, we can just write a cool, you know, sci-fi space casino episode and you know who doesn't love a sci-fi space casino from time to time exactly and hey we would have given smokescreen credit but he's the reason all this happened so and yeah i mean it's again it's one of those sort of character episodes where you kind of feel like the characters maybe being a bit hard done by like beyond smokescreen makes a smokescreen a couple of times like yeah he's also responsible for a lot of the stuff that goes wrong in this installment so you know maybe not the most glowing of, of episodes and I feel like given how sparingly he's using the series, this is probably the last we get to see of him doing anything that's not making a smokescreen, basically. So, uh, you know, you had your chance and you didn't quite make the best use of it. You had your chance and you cheated. (laughs) Exactly. So, Andy, would you like two more fun facts about this episode before we get to our final episode of the day? Yeah, I hope one of the facts is that, like, Optimus Prime ended up with a gambling problem off the back of this episode. (laughs) But we'll see. This episode, The Gambler, is one of only two pre-Transformers the movie episodes in which Megatron does not appear. The other being another recent one that we watched, The God Gambit. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, Megatron just doesn't like travelling. <laughs> not, 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 not doing it with the alien planets. Just sends other people to do that. He just likes to stay at home and watch his travelogues and drink his energon. Which, additional fun fact onto that fun fact, both of those episodes, The Gambler and God Gambit, both have Astro Train and two Seeker Jets as the primary antagonists. 
Yeah. Again, I mean, it's sort of yeah, like you know, when when you when you're out in space, I mean, yeah, again, Astro Train literally there to do that. But uh, yeah, kind kind of interesting. I don't know. I guess the Seeker jets were always really like popular, probably in terms of sales. So they're they're almost sort of like well, you've got to have at least those in there. But uh, you know, I thought they'd they'd mix it up a little bit occasionally. Mm. You know, get let 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 Frenzy have a have a go on his own. You know, come on. <laughs> also, I should say credit to these facts that I'm reading by the way to the TF Wiki once again. The final fact of this episode, Andy, for you. Charles Michael Hill originally wrote this story for Challenge of the GoBots in what became the episode Game World. But he disliked the, in- the, the interference and rewrites forced on him by story editors Jeff Siegel and Kelly Ward and felt the Transformers was the perfect opportunity to get the story done right. Now, now, now I want to see what the GoBots version of this looks like. <laughs> that, a lot worse, I'm going to guess. Maybe that's a bonus episode for the future or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So from there, everybody, we move on to our final episode of the day. That being episode 32 of season two, The Search for Alpha Trion. We begin on Cybertron with a break-in, as three female Autobots are breaking into Decepticon HQ. Yes, everyone, we are now encountering female Autobots, something which, I want to say, Andy, had not been alluded to at all so far in the series from what we've watched. No, no, I mean, it's it's not referenced at any point. And, and it, to be fair, again, to the writing of this episode, it kind of somewhat makes clear why mm. um so you know at least at least there was some continuity there rather than like let's just jam these characters in but again m- much like with with devcon like literally as soon as you see these characters they have really awesome character designs and you're just like yep i want my charlie's angel female transformers <laughs> spin-off please um you know where where and when can i get this i'm trying to think of like a fun thing it's like charlie's angels like tryons Trion's trio? I don't know. <laughs> or something. We come to find out the trio of female Autobots are named Firestar, Moonracer, and Chromia. And they are in search for Energon, uh, Energon, excuse me, hidden inside of Shockwave's supply room. Chromia then contacts Alita One, another female Transformer we're now brought in, that's now brought into the fold, so to speak. To give a status report, Alita, happy with the status, but urges them caution and complete the mission quickly. The three gain access to the supply room where there is tons of energon, Andy. We knew that Shockwave was stockpiling energon, but holy crap! Yeah, yeah, he seems to be seems to be doing all right there, but uh, not so not so well on the security side of things. I mean, again, if you had Shockwave's lab gets broken into on your bingo card, then uh, you know you've probably worn through that part of the bingo card because it happens so often. So here's a re- here's another sidebar because I'm the one derailing all this now. But here's a Jeremy theory for how to make the continuity for that what you just described the security work. In Desertion of the Dinobots, when Carly and Spike were, like, roaming around Cybertron, and they seemingly shut down the main computer running things, what if that didn't get restored? 
Well, yeah, I mean, there is that. That still doesn't excuse, like, the other, like, half dozen times that Shockwave's lab gets broken into before that. Like, every time anybody comes to Cybertron, the first thing they do is, like, romp through Shockwave's lab. It's like, oh, not again. Um, and so, you know, he, he really he really needs to, to work on that. Get, get a burglar alarm. Get a ring doorbell. I don't know. Just do, do something, Shockwave. Now inside the supply room, Chromia and Moonracer begin immediately loading Energon onto Firestar, who transforms into a pickup truck of sorts. They're not, they're not taking very much though, and despite it being mentioned that their own supply is dangerously low by one of the others, per Alita's orders, they just need to get what they need and get the heck out. As they're heading out though, Moonracer gets greedy, and manages to set off an alarm and get herself trapped in a cage. Chromia is having a hard time trying to get Moonracer out of said cage and just tells Firestar, roll out without us, we'll catch up. At this point, Shockwave arrives back in his lab and is alerted to the fact that something is going on and sees, on some surveillance footage, as he says, quote-unquote, female Autobots? I thought they were extinct. Firestar is able to get past, past Shockwave after he says that line, sands a few Energon cubes that get blown up by Shockwave along the way. Once in the supply room, we get the following dialogue exchange. Shockwave. So, the female Autobots still exist. Chromia. Yes, and we always will. Shockwave. Such noble nonsense. He then fires, but his blast actually manages to free Moonracer, who then promptly throws the Energon cubes that she had grabbed, that got her caught in the cage, at Shockwave, which exploded his face, and then down him. They are both able to escape, and we see them both transport, uh, transform excuse me, into their selective car modes upon exiting the building. Gonna pause there for a second, Andy. I'm loving this so much. These female Autobots are so damn cool. Like you say, I want a spin-off show of them. It's something so new and refreshing, and they're such badasses as well. Yeah, yeah, like it sort of... It, it was my worry knowing that this was an episode where it's like, ah, oh, they've got female, you know, Autobots in, that it was just going to be some kind of token thing where they're just kind of there to be rescued by everybody else. But yeah, like we get to see them, you know, fighting the good fight in their own rights, kicking some ass. And yeah, like, you know, again, talking of spin-off series, you could totally imagine their sort of, you know, operations on Cybertron. I mean, I guess just breaking into Shockwave's lab every week, but, you know, maybe they could mix it up a bit. And, you know, because, again, you know, we're sort of somewhat starved of, like, Cybertron content, and so, you know, just the fact that we get to see a bit more of what's going on there. Um, but, you know, you could totally imagine an entire series of them, you know, doing various, you know, breaking and entering, you know, sabotage, whatever it is, they're kind of like Autobot resistance back on Cybertron, where they're just like wreaking havoc, you know, sign me up, I want to see more. The two manage to catch up with Firestar, and Moonracer is regretting her actions, but Chromia rightly points out, we don't have time to waste, get a move on. That's because, unbeknownst to them, they are being pursued by one of Shockwave's sentinel robots that I believe we saw previously, Andy, now that I mentioned it, in Desertion of the Dinobots. With the goal being to report their destination. They arrive at a checkpoint of, checkpoint of sorts and request clearance to enter their Autobot HQ, which Alita 1 denies that request because they have company. 
Moonracer is then able to win back some street cred that, that she had lost earlier by blowing up the Sentinel, much to Shockwave's annoyance. But the key detail here is Shockwave now has an idea of where the Autobots base might be. Shockwave reports the happenings to Megatron, and we also come to find out that Megatron is well aware of Alita 1 as a presence, and says that he is going to send a team to assist in capturing the female Autobot. Shockwave also makes it known to Megatron he now knows their approximate location. Back with the female trio, they unload the Energon into a hatch hidden underneath some debris, and they proceed to enter their underground HQ. We see a few other Autobots inside who, for reference, aren't name-checked, but upon doing some further research, Andy, they are known as Lancer and Greenlight. But we now also get to see, for the first time, Alita 1, who congratulates them on a successful mission, even giving Moonracer a pass after she was regretting her actions, because Alita just said, Look, you survived, therefore you didn't fail. I wish most things in life could be that simple, Andy, because that is not a fair reflection on life right there. No, no, that is that, that, that is true. So, so no, Some things are simpler on Cybertron, it seems. Chromia is concerned their base may have been discovered, though. Alita says she will contact Alpha Trion. Back with Shockwave, his search on his viewfinder for the entrance continues, and he then just randomly sees Andy a pile of rubble. And determines that's where their base is. I figured it out. So I mean, God, you know, that's it's it's the it's the classic. I I mean, to be fair, if anybody knows about base locations, it's the Decepticons. You know, they're 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 all about you know knowing where to build a base. So they can probably just look at it and be like, "Yep, that that'll be a base." So I'll (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. I just love the fact it was a pile of rubble, and he's like, "Yep, that's it." (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had that kind of skill to know that. At this point, the Decepticon party from Earth arrives via Space Bridge, this consisting of Astro Train, Starscream, Ramjet, and Rumble. We then cut back to Alita 1, who makes contact with Alpha Trion, who, as you eloquently described in the last podcast we did, Andy, has a beard. You were right. Mm. (laughs) I I forgot how magnificent a beard it was, though. I knew it was pretty good, but man, that, that guy's... You know he's he's really really worked on that. It's, it's so good. It's, it's impressive. I don't I don't understand how beards work on robots, but I'm I'm still impressed. <laughs> Alpha Trion says that they must relocate their base, but be careful in doing so. Alpha Trion also tells Alita One, quote unquote, "Do not use your special power under any circumstances." Alita then goes on reconnaissance of sorts outside the base, but the Decepticon party is nearby. She manages to hide from them. And now we also come to realise at this point, Starscream is also seemingly well aware of the female Autobots and how much of an opposing force they are. Despite Rumble's protests, Starscream invokes his authority because Megatron is not there and just says, we're not just going to capture Alita 1, we're going to freaking destroy their base as well. And so tells Rumble to pile drive the ground. We then see the underground base start to be heavily damaged and just collapse in on itself. And also, Andy, I've noted it looks like Firestar seemingly gets pinned, but then in the next scene, she seems to be fine. Yeah, yeah, who who knows how that works. Probably a continuity error, but maybe Firestar also has a secret power, which is not getting pinned by debris. (laughs) 
So at that point, Andy, that's kind of the end of the A part of the episode. Any other thoughts so far? Because, again, just to almost be like a broken record, I'm freaking loving this episode. Yeah, this is this is a, a really strong kind of first half. And again, it's it sort of shows the value of having these kind of original characters as well, because you can do things like elite ones, like don't use your special power. Or it's like, you know, if you're a kid that's, you know, bought the toys and kept up with the comics, you kind of know the powers of all, like the, the Autobots and Decepticons. It's like, you know, when you get the, the Insecticons arrive, it's like, you know... As a kid who, you know, owned Shrapnel, I knew all the stuff Shrapnel could do because I was a nerd and read his tech specs on the back of the box. And, you know, you'd get all of the sort of, you know, the, the, the facts about them all. Whereas when you have an original character like this, it's like, much like Devcon in the previous episode, like, what does he transform into? Does he transform at all? And then you get to see it. It's like, oh, that's awesome because you, you didn't see it coming. And it's the same with, with uh, these characters where you don't know anything much about them. So you're learning as you go. And it's kind of really exciting, like, oh, okay, Alita's one's got this special power that she shouldn't use, like, you know, what's what's the deal here? Um, and that's, you know, it, it's, it's really exciting to have something that isn't sort of, you know, there are so many episodes of this show where you can kind of figure out how it's going to wrap up and, and ha- what people are going to do to get there, whereas this is kind of really open-ended like alpha Trion, likewise you don't really know you know what his deal is or you know really what what his sort of part in all of this is like you know you imagine he with his given his surname he used to run a clothes shop or something but who can say yeah what i'm also loving and you've alluded to it in what you said is this episode is bringing up so many more questions as to what could happen next and you know there's a part of you that thinks are these female Autobots going to come back to Earth? Because that would be awesome if they do. And just wondering how the story may progress from here. And like you said, Alpha Trion's involvement in all this. This does a really good job of just expanding the actual Cybertron element of the Transformers universe. Yeah, well, and, and even like, you know, you, you don't get as much of like the deep lore as you want. But the fact that, you know, a, a lot of the Decepticons thought that these female Transformers are extinct. It's like, you know, there's clearly potentially a whole story there as to, you know, what happened and why, and like, you know, why just the female Transformers getting extinct, which could go to some pretty dark places. But, you know, that's that's a really interesting thing just to throw out there, which, again, was probably a narrative convenience of just like, well, we've created a few female Transformers, we don't want to keep doing it now. Um, But, you know, it, it still makes for an interesting thing because we've seen so little of Cybertron like well yeah what is the deal with that and you know we'll probably never find out a lot of that stuff but it's kind of you know it it really adds to the like the mystique of the planet and the war and everything that's happened there alita tries to attack the decepticons but it's tough because she is outnumbered that said she does manage to throw one of ramjet's rockets back at him before being hit by starscream's null ray she more than holds her own for a good few moments but ultimately is captured Back in the underground base, which is completely totaled, I should say, seemingly everyone is okay, including Firestar, as I mentioned a few moments ago. They want to go help Alita, but the entrance is blocked, so they get to work on trying to clear it. We now go, Andy, for the first time in this episode, to Earth, which, honestly, at this point, it feels like freaking forever since we've been back on Earth in Transformers. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, this is probably like the longest consecutive period we've had without any scenes on Earth, I suspect, because like, I don't feel like we've spent more than, you know, a chunk of an episode there, uh, you know, off of off of Earth at any any given point in time. I guess we've had the, the odd like full episode outside of outside of the confines of our own planet, but, you know, not like almost like three episodes at this point. Yeah, I mean, because barring, you know, obviously the the, the baseball section of Child's Play and then ultimately, you know, the, the Starscream arriving and being attacked by Crocodile's bit, we've basically not been on Earth for, for like a good few episodes, like you say. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, the, the, the alligators, crocodiles, whatever they were, like, may, maybe reset the clock so this isn't a record, but it certainly feels <laughs> like it for uh, overall minutes spent on non-Earth planets for these uh, these episodes. So, as mentioned, we now go to Earth, and Prime receives a transmission from Megatron. He explains that female Autobots have been discovered on Cybertron, then shows Alita as proof and demands that Prime surrenders within two Earth hours if he wants to see Alita functional again. Prime is not happy about this, but Teletran is able to determine the location of of the space bridge that the Decepticons have, and he sets out on a one-man mission. We then get a flashback to seemingly just before the Ark left Cybertron millions of years ago, where Alita and the other female Autobots want to go with Prime and the others, but he says it's too dangerous and he will return for her. We then see a bunch of explosions and such, with Prime seemingly under the assumption that Alita had died. Cutting back to Prime as he's rolling out to the space bridge, he says he will honour his promise. I love that flashback sequence, Andy, because like you mentioned a few minutes ago as you were alluding to it, it answers the question of, why have we never seen any female Autobots? Like, why has it never been mentioned? Because they thought they were dead. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff is is interesting. Um, yeah, it's kind of a really, really good flashback. Um, and yeah, it's, it, I also really like the fact that this whole thing plays into... It, it's this really fascinating, like weak point i guess you could say on optimus prime like because he he goes off to do this thing without even telling anybody like on any of the other autobots or like wait where did optimus prime just head off to which is like it it really kind of you know optimus prime is always so kind of completely selfless in terms of you know what his troops need what all the people around him need but this is just like single-minded like i need to go do this right now i don't even have time to explain it to anybody and it kind of really underlines like oh this is like serious business for prime this is not just you know a kind of this isn't just like an operational mission this is like this is personal So, as you just alluded to, the others have got no idea where Prime has gone, and they're trying to work it out via what's left on Teletran's screen, which is seemingly a mention of Cybertron and a space bridge. And so they roll out to head for a space bridge. Prime arrives at said space bridge and uses it to get to Cybertron. But as soon as he arrives, Andy, he's captured in a cage. Oops. It's like, silly Prime. Silly. 
Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, again, to be fair, like, that that sort of also sells you in on the fact that, like, this is maybe not Optimus Prime thinking straight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he's not... I mean, he's done a cliff jumper, really. <laughs> I mean, he's just, you know, he's just rushed in, you know, shoot first, ask questions later, and it's backfired on him, which is, like, really unusual for him because, you know, normally he'll only go on the offensive when it kind of makes sense. So, again, it really sells you on the idea of, like, oh, this is not just... The, this is not just business as usual. Now, Starscream is about to just completely just kill Alita, quite frankly. But rather than finish her off, Shockwave says he has a better idea. At the underground Cybertron Autobot base, Chromia and Co. haven't had any luck getting out of there. But Moonracer gets the idea to use the Energon cubes they stole as explosives, which conveniently were held in a separate storage area. This works, they head out to rescue Alita 1. Back on Earth, Ironhide, Cliffjumper, and Powerglide manage to get by the non-existent guards, I say, because they mention we've got to get past the guards, but there are no guards there. I won't judge that, we'll just move on. They go into the space bridge and head for Cybertron. Back in Shockwave's lab, Prime is now hanging from the ceiling, having been chained to a pole, hanging over Andy, a vat of acid. (laughs) Yeah, the, the the old the old classic uh, <laughs> Transformers torture. <laughs> Alita begs for him to be let go, and Starscream, in a very Starscream esque way, just goes very well. And then Rumble is then going to start cutting the chains, and Prime begins to fall, and Alita lets out an almighty scream. But now this isn't just an almighty scream. It turns out because when we come back from an ad break. Time is now standing still, sans Alita 1. We've got quite the disco style effect going on here on screen as well, Andy, which I don't know how to describe it, but it's quite the effect. Yeah, they're, they're, they're having fun with that one, with uh, with whatever whatever effect they use in there. And and they, they, they use it for perhaps longer than they should have done because it kind of obscures a little bit of what's going on. But anyway... So it turns out that time standing still was the secret weapon that Alpha Trion alluded to earlier in the episode. And she uses it to save Prime. But there's one tiny detail, Andy, that wasn't mentioned earlier as to why she shouldn't use it. It's because it drains all of her life force. And she says that she has to be taken to Alpha Trion in order to be saved. At this point, with everyone else barring Prime and Alita still stuck in like a a stasis time loop thing, Prime makes haste, loading Alita into the back of his trailer and rolls out to find Alpha Trion. Inside, the Decepticons think that Prime has been disintegrated because when time keeps going again, they just see something melting in the vat of acid and think it's Prime. At this moment, they're having a very hearty laugh, and even more so when Ironhide, Powerglide, and Inferno at this point, Andy, not Cliffjumper I would note, but I wanted to make note of that, Starscream taking great pleasure in telling them that Optimus Prime is no more. And I think in one of my favourite Ironhide moments of the entire series we have watched so far, Andy, Ironhide is enraged and doesn't just kind of shout a traditional, like, Autobot go type thing. It's literally Autobot attack. (laughs) 
it's a great moment. Yeah, not 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 happy. And I mean, again, I'm just assuming that like Cliff Jumper has done a Cliff Jumper somewhere on the way here and like got himself into mischief, and so they had to just like call up like Teletran, like, can you send someone else? Like we've lost <laughs> Cliff Jumper. He just like yeah, it was a whole thing. Can can you send someone reliable? He saw a shiny thing and drove the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably just like drove off of a cliff into a ravine somewhere, <laughs> I don't know. And now the reason that I mentioned this line about Ironhide saying Autobot attack is because I think for the first time ever, Andy, we see the Autobots literally taking it to the Decepticons in an angry way. They are pissed off, to say the least, forcing the Decepticons to retreat briefly before the fight continuing outside, which then... Things take a turn for the Autobots, but only until the female Autobots arrive. How quaint. The girls have come to rescue their boyfriends, says Starscream. They get involved in the battle with specific dialogue interactions between Ironhide and Chromia, Inferno and Firestar, and Powerglide and Moonracer. Though, worth noting, Andy, Moonracer calls him Carglide. I don't know if you noticed that, but I did. <laughs> I mean, I I wonder whether that's some like deliberate like bit of shade or or what. Or, or maybe I mean again, deep lore. Maybe he was called Carglide before yeah. he became a plane on Earth. Who can say? So many questions. It's almost like we need a spin-off series with these characters. <laughs> but anyway, we need it led by Devcon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring them all together. The the the, the Transformers cinematic universe. <laughs> Starscream is cornered at this point, but is able to get away. During the battle, we cut back to Prime as he is rolling on and Alita is saying that she is fading fast. Once the battle has concluded elsewhere, Prime arrives at Alpha Trion's base. They head into his underground base after, and after a very, very, very quick examination, Andy, it was like that moment of Alpha Trion, like, Alita's put onto the bed. Trion says... Right, I'll have a look and I'll do what I can. Prime kind of walks away, having that moment of, oh, I hope everything's going to be all right. And literally two seconds later, Alpha Trion's like, so, I've, I've investigated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like when you get a plumber around and he spends like two seconds looking at the, the, the leak you've got. And you're like, did, did you really look at that properly? <laughs> okay. Trion says that he has done all he can to help her. But now it's time for you, Prime, to help her. He tells Prime to disengage his power filter, which Prime is baffled at, but just does as he's instructed because he says he'll do anything to save her. The reason Prime is asked to do this is because only Prime's design will properly interface with Alita 1. The way I've tried to sort of sum up this process, Andy, is it's almost like the an Autobot equivalent of plugging a LAN cable into each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th there's also something like alarmingly slightly sexual about this whole thing, and I'm not sure whether that was deliberate or not. But you know, it it made me think about Avatar and a particular scene in that. <laughs> not 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 the Last Airbender. Um, but you know, maybe maybe that's just my filthy grown up mind thinking about this. I'm pretty sure like six year old me didn't see it in that way at all. So you know, <laughs> Prime is even more baffled by this notion about the fact he can interface with Alita 1, because how would Trion know that? Only his creator would know that. Alpha Trion's a filthy pervert. That's, 
has what it means, Optimus Prime. There's he's, a, he's read the magazines, he knows. There's an awkward pause, and Tryon just says, An educated guess, Prime. <laughs> Back at the firefight elsewhere, the Autobots think they have won, when suddenly, Shockwave springs into action, and transforms into his laser blaster, and sends an almighty blast at the Autobots, just making them all basically hang off of a cliff edge. It's quite a moment. At that moment, Prime and Alita 1 arrive. Starscream shouting, It can't be! I saw his melted carcass! <laughs> Prime makes short work of them before Starscream issues a retreat. But Shockwave didn't retreat with them. And so Alita 1 shoots him while still in laser gun mode and he falls a heck of a long way down into the bowels of Cybertron, Andy. <laughs> Not a good day to be Shockwave. No, that is a, a very long fall. Which is a shame, because uh, him turning into his laser gun and shooting that, 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 massive, uh, that massive shot was just like, oh yeah, Shockwave's really cool. Um, and then, yeah, not, not, not for very long, it seems. We then cut to the new headquarters that Alpha Trion has set up for the, for the female Autobots. With it being noted, Andy, it has much more advanced equipment in this one. I come, uh, This just makes me think that like Alpha Trion was just being really skimpy on technology for the Autobots. Yeah, it's just just hoarding it. He's just a hoarder. It's like, no, you can't have it. It's mine. I I made this. And we then get a scene where it's very much made clear that the two groups, the Earth Autobots and the Cybertronian female Autobots, hope that they can meet once again when the war is over. Prime giving credit to this victory in some ways to Alpha Trion. Alita then says, "Yes, such a wise old Autobot." He's almost like a father to me. And there's a really awkward, just like, zoom shot on Prime's face. And then eventually he just says, More than you'll ever know, Alita. <laughs> Prime's crew then depart back for Earth using the space bridge. And the episodes end with a really cool zoom out of Cybertron. With Alita saying, quote unquote, Don't stay away for too long. Andy, this episode was freaking fantastic. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. Really strong stuff. Like, I feel like the second half of it is maybe not quite up there with the first, but it's still, it's still good stuff. I think I might have conflated, like, in my head, before I watched this episode, this and the key to Vector Sigma, which I think has a bunch of Alpha Trion in it. Because I, I was so. surprised, especially for an episode called The Search for Alpha Trion. I mean, nobody's really searching for him, really. <laughs> And I mean, you know, it's not—it's not a big long search. Like it's—it it kind of feels like they buried the lead here, and that this should have been something, something Alita one, not the search for Alpha Trion. Like you know, because she she is like the most important character in this thing. Um, but uh, you know, I guess it, it it is what it is. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good episode again. Good Cybertron stuff. Some good sort of hinted at deep lore in terms of the war and certain elements of it and certain characters um, and, you know, a lot of other stuff that is hinted at that I think some of does come to fruition in uh, the Key to Vector Sigma, if I recall. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. It was a good, again, kind of quite a good change of pace after, like, Charles Play and the Gambler before it. Like, this is you know, still refreshing and different, but kind of has a bit more of a serious bent to it. Um, and uh, some, some interesting stuff with its characters. So uh, yeah, it was it was a good, uh, a good time was had. 
I genuinely can't remember how much more we see these female Autobots, but like I say, I just want them to be recurring characters now. Just all the yeah. time. Yeah, and, and I know that like all of these characters do sort of get folded into sort of like the, the comics lore, like certainly in like, you know, the, the IDW and, and Dreamwave stuff, you know, they, they, I don't think they ever really made it into like, you know, the, the, the Marvel comic continuity at the time of Generation 1, but they certainly resonated with enough people that they sort of became, you know, a part of any sort of Cybertron-based stories in sort of more recent times, uh, which is, is kind of cool. Because, yeah, I, I sort of... I think I did watch this episode as a kid, but yeah, like I say, I didn't remember as much of it as I thought I had because I thought this was was a, a, an entirely different story. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely some some really some really top notch stuff to to be had here. So I have two fun facts for you for the TF Wiki before we wrap up properly in this episode re- relating to this episode specifically. First of all, don't know if you noticed, but this is a rare, completely human free episode. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I guess we're talking more completely biological entity-free episode because we've had aliens who are not technically humans in the, the past couple of episodes. Okay, I mean, uh, I guess uh, Earth humans. Then there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, la- la- last episode we didn't have anybody like who was Earth-based. The episode before that, of course, we had baseball shenanigans, so we we had that going on. And the other thing, so remember when I mentioned when I was name-checking all of the female Autobots that I mentioned Greenlight and Lancer. Mm. The reason I brought that up is because apparently they were actually nameless for 25 years after that episode like had broadcast. And they were only finally given monikers in the, according to the TF Wiki, the timeline's text story, Flames of Yesterday. Okay, fair enough. So there's a random little detail for you. And with that being said, everybody... That is going to wrap up this episode. We've definitely gone... This might be one of our longest podcasts yet, Andy, but it's been a damn good time doing it, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, four really kind of quite intense episodes in their own different, very different ways. Um, so, yeah, like, it was sort of, you know, I w- weirdly, like, I was looking forward to sort of the, the episodes that bookended this one, you know, Omega Supreme and Alpha Trion, but, like, actually kind of the two in the middle are almost still the show in a lot of ways, but uh, The Search for Alpha Trine is, is definitely a, a very strong episode as well. But next time, everybody, we advance further into the depths of Season 2 as we will be encountering Episodes 33 to 36. And Andy, we have the following episode titles to contend with. Auto Bop. Prime Target. I'm pretty sure you've mentioned this one before in in some context while we've been doing the podcast. The girl who loved Power Glide. <laughs> yep, had had that on VHS as like the B sides to my Call of the Primitives VHS. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to revisiting it. Question mark. <laughs> and triple takeover. It's really difficult to figure out what Auto Bop and Triple Takeover might be. Prime Target. I can make an assumption very much based on that on that title. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Autobop. I'm assuming there's going to be some kind of like musical element. Maybe, maybe Sandwave gets to do some bootleg recording this this time. We'll host another so, disco. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he was he was really good at that last time. Again, talking, we've been talking a lot about spin-offs, but can we have you know <laughs> DJ and like disco proprietor Soundwave? <laughs> so we want DJ and disco proprietor Soundwave, the adventures of Devcon and Sleazardo. That was his name, and uh, and and Trion's trio. I don't know. Or elite, I guess it should be Elita's trio, really, shouldn't it? Really? I mean, it should be, really. I mean, it's always a bad thing about Charlie's Angels. Elita's Angels? Yeah. You see, that works better. Like, you know, Ch- Charlie had very little to do with it, so he can, <laughs> he can he can get in the sea. So, folks, on the next episode, we will be talking about those episodes. And once again, if you've enjoyed this, make sure you spread the word. Why not give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter as well? You can find us under the username at StarScreamsPod. And if you want to drop us an email, you can do so at StarScreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. Also worth mentioning, if you want to watch the episodes with us, so to speak, or you want to watch them ahead of the next podcast... As mentioned at the top of the show, we watch all the episodes on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's a 100% legitimate way to watch them on that channel, and that channel also dictates the order we watch the episodes as well. Andy, before we wrap up here for today, any additional notes you would like to impart on everybody? What if Cosmos and DevCon did a job swap? (laughs) That's my parting thought for this episode. (laughs) <laughs> I mean I'm trying to imagine Cosmos being a bounty hunter <laughs> I mean it would be a really great like comedy spin-off of just like just about to shoot and then he just falls over you know that's just his bit he's just like about to he, the bounty hunter that's never killed anybody this every time he just misses something happens you know the his laser shot bounces off a plate of glass he hasn't seen and just like singes his foot. Something always goes wrong. But I mean, the Autobots would get you know a good deal out of it because they'd get you know a competent DevCon instead. But yeah, maybe not so good on the bounty hunting side of things. I mean, I've just got this vision now that it would be Cosmos and Slizardo, and it would be the Transformers <laughs> equivalent of Wallace and Gromit. Wesley Zardo is the one getting Cosmos out of all the trouble and is actually the brains of the outfit. Yeah, yeah, Cosmos thinks he's doing all the great work, but actually it's Lizardo. I mean, Cosmos and Lizardo sounds like some kind of, like, travelling football troupe as well, just like, you know, Brazilian footballers who've fallen on hard times, but that's a whole other story. I mean, no other notes from me other than just, just a really fun set of episodes, people. If you want to give these four episodes honestly Andy I would say for a nice what's the way to phrase this if you want a very diverse range of four episodes yeah the Omega Supreme stuff isn't perhaps what we were hoping it might be but on the whole these four episodes it's a great watch if you wanted to kill like a good hour or so yeah yeah and I mean to be honest like the sort of the 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 Charles playing gambler episodes you could kind of watch without a massive amount of Transformers knowledge and still have a pretty good time with. I mean, I realise that's not really the audience for this podcast, but, like, those are kind of episodes you could show to somebody to be like, yep, here's some just, like, random Transformers, and you could, you know, you you don't really need to know about all the characters and the intricacies of it. You can just kind of enjoy them for what they are, and, you know, which is a Star Wars rip-off in the case of The Gambler. But, you know, it's, it's they're both good fun times. 
Thank you very much for listening and or watching everyone. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, speak to you soon. Bye, everyone. I'm off to watch that Game World episode of GoBots now and see how similar it is. <laughs> we expect a full report next time. <laughs>